The following recording is a production of Kicking Out at Two in conjunction with the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network and is intended for private use only. For more information, head on over to facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two or our Twitter handle at kicking out two, along with searching Retromania with a W on any and all podcast platforms available to listen to archive shows such as this and all the great content of the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. Evergreen content at your fingertips anytime at your listening pleasure. And with that being said, we thank you for listening and hope you enjoy the show. This is the podcast where we talk about how Vince screwed Brett. That's right, the Montreal screw job here for our Survivor Series 1997 watch along here on Kicking Out at Two. I'm your host, Dave Rosenbluth, and joining me, uh, it's been a while since he's uh, he's been in the co pilot's chair. Uh, one of my early co-hosts and uh, a contributor to the podcast, as well as my younger brother, Justin Rosenbluth. What's up, dude? I'm doing good, man. Uh, I guess this would be my first appearance on the show um, in a post-Vince McMahon wrestling world. Yes. Um, so everyone mark this date down. Um, <laughs> as, you know, Triple H, keep an eye out. Or an ear down to the ground. I'm here. Yeah. And we're, uh, we're talking shop with Survivor Series. Yeah. Know, the, as we were just saying off air, one of the big four. One of the big Thanksgiving four. tradition. Yes. Yes, it will <laughs> be. It it w- yes, it once was a Thanksgiving tradition. Then it was a Thanksgiving Eve tradition. Now it's going to be a Thanksgiving weekend tradition with the upcoming Survivor Series taking place in Boston the Saturday following Thanksgiving on the on the 26th with the, the War Games match. At the time as we record this, we don't know who's involved in Survivor Series, what's going on, but we can you know speculate and talk as we watch this, uh, this Survivor Series uh, from 1997, we'll, we'll oh, yeah. be talking all things Survivor Series. What are we going to do? We're going to we're going to throw a bunch of Mount Rushmores in here. We're going to talk about the Screw Job. We're going to talk about Austin returning at that time. So we got a lot on our plate here when it comes to Survivor Series. So what I'd like for all of you to do right now, um, if you have not already, is uh, go to your Peacock. Uh, it's still the worst streaming app in the history of uh, all of the mankind. But go to that app, and you're going to go to the WWE Hub. And then you're going to go find Survivor Series. And you're going to look for Season 11, Episode 1, Survivor Series 1997. It runs 2 hours, 43 minutes, and 13 seconds. So uh, strap in and uh, pack a lunch. Wear a diaper. Uh, actually, you know what? We might pause it to take a bathroom break. I'm not going to lie. Sure, uh, so, yeah. yeah, we might pause it. So we'll give you guys a cue as to when we pause it. So you guys can, you know, stretch your legs or... Uh, you know, take a take a break, get something to eat, whatever the case may be. We're gonna do that with all of you um, as we discuss uh, Survivor Series 1997. So, uh, without further ado, so season 11, episode one, Survivor Series 1997. When I say play, press play, and I'm gonna actually have the sound up uh, for the opening video because uh, you remember those cold opens. With the black and white, and they had the, the, the guy with the really cool movie voice background. I, I, I think it would be fitting that we opened with that. So, uh, oh, definitely. Keep, keep your podcast. Yes. Yeah. Keep your audio off. We'll keep ours on, and we'll play the, uh, the opening for Survivor Series 1997. In three, two, one, hit Thank you. 
guy won. This is So a couple of things to take away from that. All right. Um, Let's hear it. Before, obviously, I'm sure we'll talk at length a lot about Montreal. Not that we need to. Yeah. But, um, that's been done to death. But um, it'll obviously, with its place on the show and the theme of the show, we'll certainly talk about it. Yep. Uh, but having watched that back, like, if, on camera, we talk, you know, Brett, of course, talks about his reasons for not wanting to lose to Sean. That has been heavily documented, you know, ad nauseum. And his reasons are his reasons right now. What, the whole uh, don't want to lose in Canada thing? And then, which I think is more about now in years later is don't want to lose to Sean because Sean doesn't want to lose to me. Yeah. Which is, I think, a more rational trump card to play. Given their history. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like that's what it appears now years later is Brett's reason is I didn't want to lose to Sean because... He didn't want to lose to me. Yeah. And in all my years, I've never re- refused to put someone over. But here now, I'm gonna I'm gonna say no because I can. Yep. Um, but again, having said all that, when you watch that, it's pretty well established. Although the lot, the you know the the shades of gray are starting to emerge. Bret Hart really couldn't lose that match. I feel like. When we're talking about on camera, on TV, what you watch, follow the storyline. Bret Hart was kind of being usurped by a better bad guy. And he was becoming a babyface again, in my opinion. I wanted to talk to you about that. Okay. Okay. Well, okay. I wanted to talk to so you to about me, that. To me, like this was because it was in Canada, because of the encroachment of Shawn Michaels and his and Degeneration X and everything that was going on. Brett kind of, it the, made the most sense for Brett to win. Mine, again, take strip away all the real life stuff that we just kind of, you know, dabbled on right now. From a storyline standpoint. From a storyline standpoint, Brett kind of needed to win. And they booked themselves into a corner with how vicious Shawn Michaels was. Okay. You know what I mean? You know what? I want you to hold on to that thought. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah, I yeah. want to talk about the whole possibility of a Brett babyface thing when we discuss 
Montreal during the Sean matches. Yeah, you yeah, see yeah, the opening course. match here. The Headbangers teaming up with the Blackjacks in a classic Survivor Series match. At the time, this wasn't called a classic Survivor Series match. It was just called the Survivor Series Elimination Match as they'll take on the team of the New Age Outlaws, the newly formed New Age Outlaws, and the Godwins in a four-on-four Survivor Series no, Elimination they Affair. They weren't Southern Justice, yes, right? No, they weren't. They were just they were, they were almost there, though. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, they were teetering a on it. Away. Yeah, they were a few months away. They were yeah. still wearing the the stars and bars of the, yeah. the the Confederate flag. Uh, and the New Age Outlaws had just formed a team just a few weeks prior, yeah. or a month prior, I should say. Uh, and they were really catching some steam. Um, and it's it's funny too as we're watching this match. You and I have talked a lot of AEW uh, through text message and what we don't like about the the, the programming, but. Um, one thing that I at least have have taken a liking to in, in their programming is the use of Billy Gunn. Twenty five years later, as Daddy uh, Ass, the uh, the manager, the 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 representative of the acclaim. What what are your thoughts on? In my opinion, he's one of the top acts in all of AEW with the acclaimed right now. Currently, yeah, You're right up there with MJF, and maybe you can even argue, you know. Blackpool Combat Club, Moxley, even Jericho. If you if you were to do like a top five of draws in AEW, Billy Gunn's right in there with Absolutely. the acclaim. Absolutely, he is. Um, I think he's revived his career in a way that I think we can recall happening with uh, Dustin Rhodes, Goldust, probably what ten years ago, when Goldust kind of came like Goldust, Dustin Rhodes, right? And even to to this point right now, he's yep. been able to take this ten years later. Yep. Uh, Dustin Rhodes has revived his career, so he's doing his best stuff ever. Yeah, and I can almost argue that Billy Gunn is is up there doing his best stuff ever. I'd like to see more work from him in the ring to kind of, you know, complete that package a little bit. And but it's not what? like he's slowed down in the ring oh, either. No, he's. I mean, the he's been in, Billy... he's had some matches, and you 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 look at him and you're like, this is this is badass Billy Gunn. You know, early two thousands. Well, the appeal to argue. Billy Gunn, even when you look at him here, is he looks. Like, he should be the world champion. Yeah. And I know they tried it with him, and it didn't quite work, but he's got the look. Um, you know, there's just, there is a presence even about him here where you're like, he just looks like if you could – the, the, the prototype. If you could yeah. build a wrestler, you know, on, on look alone, you know. And the guy could wrestle. It wasn't like he was, you know, a slouch in the ring. Yeah. Um, but obviously it just didn't land for whatever reason, right? Yeah. But um, – I would say outside of the height of popularity that the New Age, New Age Outlaws have become just coming off of this and in the few months that followed and year, you know, a year or two that followed, that run is, you know, getting rivaled with what's happening with him in AEW. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's doing a heck of a job, I would say. Um, he is, he's certainly opening up the possibilities of what more he can do. Now on the subject of Billy and the Outlaws, do you think, and this is a question that, because, and I asked this because, you know, obviously hindsight being twenty twenty, we could, you know, we, we can make the call that, you know, we can, we can make the argument that, you know, the, the outlaws were, were one of the most over acts in all of WWE as far as a team goes. Do you think that they could have been as successful on their own had they not joined D-Generation X months later? Like if it was just the outlaws as a tag team and not with DX? Yes. Um... Yeah, and I would argue that between Survivor Series and WrestleMania, they were doing just that. Yep. Um, 
that you to know, the point Col- where they were teasing at times. Yeah, them being aligned with Hunter and Sean. Right. Col- I mean, it culminated, in my opinion, like one of the one of the marquee matches at WrestleMania 14, which is one of the greatest WrestleMania's of all time. One the of the marquee match. matches was the dumpster match. Yep, absolutely. There was a good build. There was real heat. Yep. Um, I remember watching like that was one of the matches I was looking forward to seeing. Yep. Was that one? Um, yeah, and they weren't yet with DX. So, um, yeah, they they grew. They, 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 you think they, it put them over the top joining DX? Or yes. do you think it watered down the, the outlaw, the New Age outlaw presentation? Because um, I felt like they, they although a, a fit with DX worked well, part of me was kind of like, you know what? I kind of dig them on their own. Like, I didn't mind them joining DX. Don't get me wrong. I thought they were yeah. great. But at the same time, I was like, I don't know. Maybe I was so used to being them as cool bad guys that when they joined DX and eventually turned babyface, I kind of felt like they were. I don't know. Maybe it's just maybe I'm in the minority here, but I, I kind of felt like it, it slightly, a teeny tiny bit watered them down a little bit. Um, I think a couple of things happened that kind of watered them down. I think over time they got watered down, um, just because they had wrestled everybody, right? They'd yeah. been around. Um, the other things that I think happened that kind of hurt them was Triple H leaving DX, breaking off and doing his own thing and obviously growing more as a solo, solo act. Yep. Um, and then on the other side, you know, which is, might come out of left field a little bit. The other thing that kind of, that kind of hurt them a little bit, their value was the emergence of the Hardys, Edge and Christian, the Dudleys. Yep. Once those three tag teams in the year two, late 99, 2000 took you know, came into the, the outlaws were taking a the back outlaws seat. Were taking a back, yeah, absolutely. They were taking a back there seat. There was, there was really, in today's world, if that happened, we would have been frothing at the mouth for an outlaws versus Dudley's program or an outlaws versus Hardy's program or something like that. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? We didn't get those things very quickly. It was based on all those things kind of happening at the same time. The outlaws just kind of disappeared. They simmered away. You know what I well, mean? I know that Billy got hurt at one point because yeah. he they they dropped the titles. To, to the Dudleys very quickly yeah. at the No Way Out pay-per-view in 2000. Yeah. And then on top of that, on top of all that, the the emergence of that new era of tag team wrestling that kind of pushed them out was, I think, the desire, based on what I said earlier about Billy Gunn as a as a, as a Singles superstar. performer? Yeah. There was a desire to get him programmed that way. Yep. And, you know... Come what mid they split them up pretty yeah. quickly. Yeah, they made sure to realize, oh, there's no, there's no room for the outlaws anymore. Let's get, let's get Billy ready for Rock. You know yeah, what I mean? let's get that going. And I mean, they were they, they had tried splitting them up like without having a personal rivalry per se when they had Road Dog working in the hardcore division and Billy yeah. was kind of doing a singles thing as an IC in the in the Intercontinental Championship division. But that was like their 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 test. Yeah. So to speak, to see if it was going to be successful or not, whether they felt that way or not is is beyond me. Right. But um, yeah, they, the like you said, the writing was on the wall that they had they had ideas and plans for Billy as a singles performer, uh, and it it actually, if you think about it, Road Dog, you could make an argument was probably the more successful singles performer than Billy was. Road Dog had that little following in the hardcore division, even though it was a very short-lived. It's a low bar to clear, but yeah, I can I can agree with you on that. I think from the from the vantage point that like, well, Road Dog was doing fit him. You know what I mean? It worked for him. It played mm-hmm. to his strengths. Yeah. Um, in terms of entertainment value, like once Billy Gunn was on his own, he was kind of a fish out of water. You know what I yep. mean? And that 
They put Road Dog with X Pac, and yeah. they made them a makeshift team, and that kind of worked. So it was like, I they yeah they tried with Billy, and like you said, fish out of water. But Road Dog had a spot to land, yeah. whereas Billy didn't really have a spot to land. They would he would eventually get hurt, come back, cut his hair, and become the one Billy Gun. Oh God, I, which, yeah. which was which was yeah. We'll we'll, like we'll one leave. of the one of the one of the signs that the Attitude Era was ending. Yes. It's like we're just gonna change you for no reason. Yeah. At least as I as I thought as a kid, like why are they? What? Yep. What does he need a name change for? You and here's know? the other thing too about the Outlaws that's 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 so great about them and their their history in wrestling is the fact that they're one of the very few makeshift tag teams that you put together that were successful and worked. Yeah. It seemed to be in an era of wrestling where you know, and they're and they're they're trying to come back to that now at least in WWE where you have like. I hate to say homegrown tag teams, but two guys that are meant to be a team, like the Usos, like the Viking Raiders, like the Street Profits, guys like those. Um, New Day, even, to some extent. Yeah. Um, The Outlaws were two singles guys that were floundering. that Put together. Put together, and they were successful. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that Rock and Sock were floundering, but when they put Rock and Mankind together. The Dream Team. The Dream Team. The Dream Team. You know. That was Mega Powers and 10 years later. Yeah. You know. But they're one Rumble of the very few teams that, that were put together and kind of not done with any kind of real plan, if you think about it. Uh, like, yeah, they were just thrown they, together yeah. and, like, let's see what these guys do together. Yes, and it, it, and full disclosure, the New Age Outlaws are probably my favorite tag team of all time. So as we're talking about them, like, I... Them and Edge and Christian are personally my two favorite tag teams of all time, especially, obviously, being in those eras that they yeah. wrestled in. But, like, yeah... To me, there was something about the New Age Outlaws that was authentic um, mm-hmm. and obviously participatory with, yep. with you know the entrance and everything like that. And you know, like you look at the Road Dog, and I think any of us would look at him and go, "That that is not a physical specimen." Well, no. Billy Gunn is literally a physical specimen, yep. even to this day. Yes, you know what I mean. He's, even he looks better. He's like fifty eight, fifty nine years old or lo- something like he that. Looks he looks better, better than, than half the roster. Yeah, in he AEW. looks better than he does here in nineteen ninety seven, twenty five yep. years later. Oh yeah. But like you look at Road Dog and you go, like that could be anybody. That could be us. You know yep. What I mean? Um. Not that we want it to be that. And but I, in terms but of like, you know wow, what? That but but that appealed to people. Yes, exactly. That appealed to people because exactly. they re- identified as Road Talk Dog. Talk shit and fight. They you may, know what they, I mean? Maybe they were like, you know what? I may not look like this Greek Greek Adonis Billy Gunn, but you know. I, I, I kind of can, you know, yeah. relate to Road Dog. Yeah, and again, it was it, it, they had, I think, to me, like I said, they're... And they also broke the mold in terms of, in my opinion, because before, prior to them, like you said, there was all these, like, ready-made tag teams. The brothers, the cousins, yep. you know. Go back to the 80s of the Hart Foundation, the Killer Bees, the, the British Rockers, Bulldogs. The, the like terms, I like to call them. They're, you know, they're all the same. They're yep. dressed up in their outfits and their costumes and their Two guys of gear. similar race put together. Yeah, that, whatever that, it is. That, they want to say look like brothers or yeah, something, exactly. you know. But the New Age Ron Outlaws, Simmons and Butchery, Doom, you know, in the NWA. Yeah, exactly. And and the New Age Outlaws were not that at all. Two different people. You know I mean? You had a physical specimen and a dude. You yep. know what I mean? Just a guy. And they and they worked. It, 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 and to me, they also broke the mold, in my opinion, in an era where the mold was being broken every week, where they were doing things where maybe – a couple years earlier, you would expect things to go the other way for them yep. on TV. They they would get the upper hand in situations in ways that drew heat. That was like wow, like that's like 
it was a part of the tide changing in wrestling. Just them winning. They the pushed match. the envelope further yeah. and further and further. Like, and I and to kind of maybe even fast forward a little bit, a great example of that is, you know, they were starting to catch some steam as a team, um, and and becoming very popular with the audience. And then in one fell swoop, they pushed Cactus Jack yes. and Chainsaw Charlie in a dumpster, you and everybody wanted to kill yes. them. Yeah, that was that. You, you, there was never at that point. They were cool never, until but, that point. Yeah, and I think too, like the way that you you know the bad guy would do something dastardly was typically exclusive to, for the most part, what you saw happen in a match when the ref wasn't looking, yeah. low blow, untie the turnbuckle. Yeah. You know, those little situations is when the bad guy would get their heat. Yep. These guys committed a fucking crime by throwing them in the dumpster and dumping them. And then it obviously bled through re- the reality aspect of Vince McMahon coming out and they're kind of breaking character. And these they broke the injured. fourth wall with, like, yeah. you know, the heels and the so baby like they, face in the like, locker room come out. Yeah, yeah. Like in the WWF, that was that was groundbreaking in, in a that lot of That was foreign ways. territory. Yes. And yeah. they did it as a tag team. They did it as characters that were believable. And, um, yeah, man, I thought they were a very groundbreaking tag team that while I, while they're obviously in the hall of fame as a member of, you know, the DX faction, they could have gone in on their own, oh, absolutely. on their own merit. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think they should have, and they probably will because we're going to get 15 time hall of famers before, you know, before, yeah, you know, right, yeah. before we're all nuked out of here. It's Booker T like, might go in as GI bro one of these days too. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah Harlem heat, King Booker, GI bro. Yeah. yeah who knows? Exa- exactly. Um, and then what, Ebony and Ivory and all that. Other oh, yep, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. The Ebony so. Express and yeah. Global. Yeah, I remember so, that, yeah. So, yeah, it's, um, yeah. To me, they, they do not get a, enough credit for how revolutionary they were as a tag team. Definitely. Yeah. Now, Billy itself, you know, he's, he's had some success in multiple tag teams. Obviously, the Outlaws being the most successful out of them all. But you look at um, Smoking Guns. In, in the early 90s, in yeah. the new generation era, where tag teams weren't um, as highlighted. Mm-hmm. And the Smoking Guns had some great matches with the likes of, uh, you know, the Head Shrinkers and... Um, Quebecers. The Quebecers, you know, even the Steiners yep. at one point. The Godwins. Um, the Godwins, They had yeah. that whole, like, you know, that whole back and the forth body angle, Donna's, The yep. Body Donna's. The Body Donna's. Those three teams together... That, again, a very they were kind of holding time the, of wrestling, especially with tag team wrestling. Like people look at that and go, "Oh, like that was the era of the you know pig pen match and yeah. like, this and that." Like the era I, of the I, occupation. Yeah, and I remember, I remember, you know, previous year, nineteen ninety six, that little months long kind of angle, if you would call it, where Sonny was kind of hopping around. She went from team to team, team as to long team as they were the, the champs. Yeah, and I thought yep. that was interesting. Yeah, and the smoking guns were a part of that. It was probably the. The, the best stuff they were a part of in terms of notoriety. Um, yeah. And I think that's where they really started to see Billy as more than just a tag team player, too, because of his role in that with his infatuation with Sonny. Yeah, exactly. And then you you know you pivot to the Outlaws and the success they had. It was one of those situations where, uh, you know, you could always go back to it. They did when they realized that they were better together than they were apart. They yep. put them back together. Yep. Um, but like you said, they came. They, they put them back together during a time period where, um, you know, Edge and Christian, the Hardys, the Dudleys, all those teams were really emerging and kind of becoming center stage in tag team wrestling. And then Billy would go on to have, um, I would like to say, uh, an underrated amount of success with Chuck, with yes. the Billy and Chuck tag team. Absolutely. Um, I remember. Where they were really pushing the envelope in terms of the, the, 
the the homosexual factor. I, I, I will say that I thought it was so silly and stupid the whole angle. Not that I um, was offended about it or anything. Whatever, it's TV. Right? Yeah. But they did the wedding, and I'm like, as a as a kid, I'm like, okay, like obviously I'm I've been around at this point long enough to know yep. that weddings don't go as planned, so yeah. they're not going to get. Married. Not everyone says I do. Yeah. Um. But I remember they were they appeared on like some daytime shows. It's Today Show or whatever it is, and they were promoting the wedding on TV. And the moment that happened, I questioned if it was real or not. I questioned, yeah. I was like, is this, this, wait a minute. Yeah. Like, what? Like, seriously? Like, and, and I wasn't watching every single week at that point, <laughs> especially SmackDown. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just remember when I, yeah, I was like very much questioning, like, for a brief time, like, oh my God, like, they're really, are they, they they're really gay. The, the, so, the oh, group oh, Glad. Yeah. Gay, lesbian, um, I forget the, the rest of the yeah. the, the acronym, but um, the, the, the GLAD, you know, gay and lesbian activist group uh, presented them with like a gravy boat yeah. on, on, on the show. I remember mm-hmm. seeing the highlights of it and, you know, talking about how happy they were that it the was... The representation. That they were representing it and it was being accepted in wrestling. Yeah. And then like three nights later on SmackDown, <laughs> Bischoff pulls the mask but off. That was such a good reveal too. <laughs> oh yeah, it was and great. I, watched it. I, remember wa- I remember watching SmackDown for that. and you, Because you, we read the think, spoilers. Yeah. Yeah, and I was like, oh... No, actually, no. I didn't read the spoilers. Like, I didn't know the spoilers. Okay. Not that I didn't know I did, but, did but, but yeah. But I remember like going to watch it Having not paid attention to sports, so when I watch it, I watch it with a gym like, wow, yeah, holy crap, yeah, that was a good reveal, yeah. And then like because it did seem dead end, like then I was like, I by that point, I my my uh, questioning of their sexuality had dissipated. And oh wow, he I, missed that leg drop completely. They, but I think it's gonna be the finish here. Yeah, I think they also like at that point after seeing the Today Show and kind of having that passing through that brief moment of wondering about them, I went back to reality and was like, well, how are they going to get out of this? You yep. know what I mean? Um, and the way they got out of it was perfect. It was yeah. such a well done, especially in the, I was in, in the topical dis- nature, given the what was already happening in the storylines between Raw and SmackDown and Bischoff. And I was kind of disappointed that like they went from being, you know, this overly um, flamboyant team that had really drawn the line of, of you know, when it comes to sexuality to them just being two regular dudes that were a team. Like, they went from, like, being, you know, overly, you know, well, you, homosexual, I guess you could say. Yeah, but you could argue that they were doing that as a part of the cover-up, the plan. That yeah, had that's place. true. And now that, that the, 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 the top had been blown off that, they, um, they could just go out and be a, a tag team. But guess what? They were less interesting. When oh, they went that route. Oh yeah, you know wait, I mean? yeah, that, yeah. Well, the, that was you know, that was where my disappointment was. Yeah, where I was exactly. like, they were less interesting because they didn't have something that 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 got people's attention. Well, so. speaking of less interesting, this match coming up here, the, the Truth, Truth Commission thing. against the Disciples of Apocalypse. As we uh, as we continue this Survivor Series watch along, why don't we um, why don't we go into a um, a Mount Rushmore of the worst Survivor Series teams of all time. Give me oh, your Mount Rushmore of some of the worst Survivor Series teams of all time. Okay, okay. Is that part? Did you have those notes in your homework there? Um, I more or less focused on like the best, but the worst I would say, because I because I put down some notable ones. Um, I mean, I remember as a kid being really excited for the um, the 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 royal family of midgets with Jerry Lawler against Doink and his <laughs> midgets. And I thought that was so cool. Like, 
you know, what was it? It was Dink, Wink, and Pink. And then Pink had pink hair, and I thought yeah. that was the coolest thing. Um, <laughs> and then what was it? Like, like queasy, sleazy, and cheesy yeah. with Jerry Lawler. Like The King's Court against Clowns yeah, R Us from the Survivor yeah. Series Clowns of 1994. So, I mean, those two teams. And all the midgets turned on the King. Yeah even, yeah. even the royal midgets. But actually, I would say probably the worst team of all time, and this well, not around the topic of the King, the worst team, in my opinion, was uh, the team that King had to abandon due to his... Shawn Michaels and the Three Knights! Was the, yes! Was easily the worst team. Yes, that's on my Mount just, Rushmore. It just, it just didn't make sense. Obviously, thanks to Jerry Lawler having to abdicate the throne for a little while to deal with his his improprieties or alleged improprieties. Um, and, yeah, just a, just a not... Yeah, well, he was, he was, what, investigated? Or yeah, he, this... was, he, was, he was under investigation, and I think he ended up initially getting charged, and then charges got dropped for having, you know sexual contact relations with underage girls and we'll leave it at that yes you know go look it up it's it's not it's unsavory stuff um but and then uh, they and then the funny thing is they planned like so like they tried to save face and i've seen footage of it later because i didn't realize that was the reason why lawler was off yeah the the team at the time so i was like yeah I remember like watching Survivor Series '93 and Todd Pettengill interviewing Shawn Michaels, and he's like, you know, all the horrible things you said to the Hearts about Bret Hart's mother, and I'm like, wait a minute, yeah. he's been gone forever. Where's yeah. Lawler's been doing all this, you know? And I was, I was, you know, that that's where I was like, man, I called bullshit on that like automatically off the rip. But what that did was was it helped launch one of the greatest angles in the history of the WWF at the time. The Hart family um, split between Brett and Owen. Yeah, that's where the yes. that's where the beginning of that angle and took that's place. Where, that's like the bright spot of all of it because you could argue that that team, the Hart team, was fucking terrible too. You had, you had outside of Brett and Owen, the Bruce and Keith who had no business being wrestlers. Yeah, um, or being in the ring on that stage, but um, it made sense for the story. The it's family aspect tie it in yeah, with Thanksgiving. Yeah, it made it sense. It worked. Yeah, the story. Exactly. Like, the I think it would have been much there. better with Lawler as the as the third guy. But yeah. Um, but you gotta argue, I mean, we're watching it now. I would say that the Truth Commission is a, you could probably put it up there on Mount Rushmore as well. It's just, who cared? Yeah. I mean, I think they, I think Kurgan was someone that they looked at as another monster that they could do something with. Yeah. Feed him to Undertaker eventually. Yeah. Eventually. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. Take him on that track. Yeah. That never, that never materialized and probably for good reason. Yeah. I got the, Um, I got the, 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 I got the, I, I got the HBK and the three nights, which, you know, sidebar here just for a moment. Have you ever heard the story about um, who one of those knights was supposed so to be? Terry Funk, right? Yeah, yeah, and then he like backed out or something. Yeah, he backed out because he didn't want to do. He His didn't want to sick or something. Yeah, the, Richard, my horse is sick. That's Actually, just... <laughs> here here is a um, here is a team that I will give you that. Where is it? I have it written down here. Um, that I think is. On the would probably be on the Mount Rushmore of teams, not because of who's on the team. Well, somewhat because who's on the team, but because how they were how they performed. Uh-huh. That would be the team of Rated RKO, Gregory Helms, Johnny Nitro, and Mike Knox in 2006. Clean sweep of D Generation X. Who I didn't think of that one, but yeah, that's. I remember being excited to see that match. Yeah, the, it, again. To sidebar this a little bit, or to set this up, Survivor Series, as you and I have talked about before, is like to me is like 
the all-star game of in various iterations in its history yep. of super teams put together, angles being combined. For Guys matches. you never saw faced each other, or teamed up yeah. with each other. Like, yeah, um, they are. That was the platform for it. Yeah, and obviously th- there was the the various iterations of it where you had the team, you know, team names were given, which I'll get to in a second. Um, but then you also, you know, Raw, and, Raw versus SmackDown has, you know, been around as well. And doing that has, again, that all-star team element. And I yep. think, personally, the future of the brand still relies, can still have that element of this is the all-star game. WWE's yep. annual all-star Oh, yeah. Um, but anyways, I, wa- I remember that match getting put together and going like, ooh, like, this, is a, this is a great mix of studs, all-stars, big names, and like, people on the rise yep you know gregory helms being in his historic cruiserweight title reign cm punk yes cm punk was you know emerging johnny nitro was still someone who had a lot of potential at that time mike knox was being positioned strongly for you know a moment there you know the hardys were getting they just got back together yeah so to me i was like wow this is like a dx was pretty hot yeah Yeah. rated rko was hot too yeah and that team cleanly swept rated rkos that was a surprise i was well, you know, what? and that's why I put that team based on their. They got swept. They got embarrassed from a completely kayfabe perspective. They got embarrassed. They got the, the, the they got blown out of the gym. You know, and they they're on my. I'll I put that on my. my you know, my it's funny you, as you, worst you brought that teams. up because I had a conversation once with Gregory Shane Helms about that match. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think you remember. Yeah, and, and, and the he, logic of it. He told me the logic was he goes well. You know, DX is hot. You know, Punk's just punk, Punk's just coming up, and the Hardys had just reunited. So there was this, there was this. I mean, the heels were going to lose. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. the question was, was who was going to be the survivors on the babyface team? And to the best of my recollection from that conversation, he had said that they had come up with the idea a couple of the guys on the heel team said, well, why don't you guys just clean sweep us? Yeah, and it does make sense. And they were like, oh, boom, great idea, done. And that's how it all played out. Now, on television, when I watched it, yeah, I was pretty annoyed too. I was looking for a good clash. Exactly, same thing. And it was, to me, I just felt like it was a a gigantic disappointment. Yeah. And And that was the, and if you were, I don't know if you remember this, but the buildup to that Survivor Series was because it was Raw, SmackDown, and ECW, the match announcements were made on WWE.com. Yes. They weren't something that was done like on on TV yep. through like an authority figure. It was like you had to tune in to WWE.com on certain dates for certain matches to yep. be announced, which kind of had that old um, WWF... Um, like event center. Event center, yeah. report center... Um, kind of vibe to it where yeah, they yeah. would just announce the matches at WrestleMania or whatever exactly. and it would just be a random match thrown together like Texas Tornado versus Greg the Hammer Valentine at WrestleMania 7 and there was no story behind it until the match was made. Yep. So, which I miss some of that. There's some aspects of that I yeah, miss. some but, randomness that, is, that yeah. is appreciated. While there does need to be context, I do think that the, the randomness can lead to context in, yes, in a story. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Um, and I think I think I think I'm confident enough we might even see something like that down the line definitely, um, definitely. With, with Hunter in charge now. But um, yeah, Shawn Michaels and the Three Knights make my list. Um, the four Doinks when it was Bam Bam Bigelow, Bastion Booger, and the Headshrinkers taking on Doink and three other Doinks yep. 
turned out to be the Bushwhackers dressed up as Doink. That's right. And Man on a Mission dressed up as Doink. Yeah. Which I thought was fucking awful. I yeah, thought it was oh, no, terrible. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So that makes my list of, of Mount Rushmore. Another team that when you look at it on paper, you're just like, you have no interest whatsoever. Um is from 1991, the Berserker, Colonel Mustafa, Skinner, and Hercules taking on the team of Tito Santana, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Sergeant Slaughter, and the Texas Tornado, Kerry Von Eric. The heels being Berserker, Colonel Mustafa, Skinner, and Hercules. A terrible team. Yeah, it's just... It's it's essentially what this match is that we're watching right now. The yeah. EOA versus the Truth Commission. I know, those are, you know there's a mixture of guys in that match versus like the factions that were here, but like these are mid to lower tier... Teams that don't, there, there's a randomness to this. Yeah, you know what I mean that, um, that just doesn't necessarily resonate because who the f- I don't even know who that guy is. You know what I mean? That guy that just got clotheslined. Oh uh, yeah, like, I don't know either. I don't know who that is. I yeah. don't know who that is. Um, <laughs> Recon or that, sniper or one well, of them. I don't, like who that guy? Yeah, the, playing yeah, the, that guy. Yeah, that, like that could easily be a guy who held a camera last week. Yep. You know what I mean? Um, or he could have been doing the job on uh, yeah on, on WCW you know Pro I mean? for all we exactly. know. Exactly. It's like um. It's like a like a, a crappier version of the the team from Dodgeball that Ben Stiller captains with like yeah, laser and yeah. laser and yep. all that shit. Um, now, do you ha- do you have any other uh, teams? Worst that- teams. Um, so uh, yeah, I put Sean and the Knights. I put Clowns R Us. But again, I, as a kid, I enjoyed it. But like, it's kind of silly. Um, and then the the 06 squad, rated RKO squad. Um, I mean, I'm. Almost probably inclined to put the King's Court in there, the midgets, because like that was all like that for the stupidness. That whole match, the whole thing was the whole match. As a kid, I thought that was hilarious, but like you know, it's just like yeah, whatever. Like, um, like it's like they, it's like you could tell they were going all in on the on the on the hilarity of it and the silliness of it. Which, oh yeah, I appreciate. As as Bruce would say, it's a let me up match. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but you know what? Actually, you know what? I won't even put the King's Court in there. I would put I would put the Truth Commission because who the fuck cares about them? Like, yeah. In this, in this, nobody gives a shit. Like at least like DOA was like somebody that had something on them. You know, like if I can remember anything about DOA as a tag team is that DX pissed pissed on their their motorcycles. <laughs> Do I remember anything that ever happened with the Truth Commission? A no. segment? Uh, uh, anything? No. Yeah. No. Okay. Not at all. So I would say that the, I'd put the Truth Commission here in 1997 along with. The, the the clowns are us, which again I love, so I almost don't want them on there. But um, and then 06 rated RKO, and then uh, Shawn Michaels and the Knights was just so I got Shawn Michaels and the Knights, the four doinks, Berserker, Colonel Mustafa, Skinner, and Hercules. Now, this is where I'm torn with the fourth one because there's a lot of really shitty teams, and actually, four of these shitty teams each faced each other in these respective Survivor Series. So we'll go to Survivor Series 1995. Um, the one, two, three kid, Skip, Rad Radford, and Dr. Tom Pritchard taking on the team of Barry Horowitz, Hakushi, Marty Janetti, and Bob Spark Plug Holly. Ah, yeah. The, those two teams the can easily. Of mediocrity. Yeah, those two teams could easily, easily yeah. make the Mount Rushmore. Yeah. And then the other two teams. Pick, pick one of them in, for me, and I'll slot them in over Clowns R Us, because at least I have an affinity for the for my, my childhood in that sense. I'll take Barry, Hakushi, Marty, and yeah. Bob Holly. That's the team that's taken Clowns R Us. Yeah. Clowns R Us, Truth Commission. Uh, or no, yeah, yeah. For me, it's it'll be, it'll be Truth, Truth Commission, Commission. Rated RKO, HBK in the Three Nights. And 
And then you have a fourth one team. of those mediocre Leaf Cassidy teams or whatever. Yeah, and then the other match that it produced some mediocre mediocre teams, I should say, from 1996, Farouk Vader, the fake Razor Ramon, and the fake Diesel taking on Yokozuna, Jimmy Snuka, um, Flash Funk, oh, yeah. and Savio Vega. A lot of a lot of sizzle on those teams. Oh man, you know what I mean? But like, what the fuck? Yeah, <laughs> and the, that match was thrown out within like. 30 seconds of the match even starting because I think they were short on time. Yeah. As we see the the winners of this match, Kurgan and the Jackal, which it looked like they were trying to do something, obviously, with Kurgan, but with Don Callis, a.k.a. Yeah. the Jackal as well, during this time period um, as the mouthpiece of yeah. the group. Um, they would eventually abandon the Truth Commission gimmick, which I thought was... Um, Kurgan saw better days of the oddities. Yeah. So... But they were going with like a more evil Kurgan with like Jackal is like this like his handler or something. Yeah, like you know, with the with the diamond stud in like the forehead with the leather jacket. Yeah. And he he said all the very intellectual uh uh phrases and he was like I said, you like you said, his handler. Um Yeah, so uh yeah, that rounds out my uh my Survivor series worst teams ever on the Mount Rushmore, HBK in the three nights, the four doinks. Um, uh, uh, Colonel Mustafa, Berserker, Skinner, and Hercules, and then Farouk, Vader, Fake Razor, and Fake Diesel. Those are my four worst there right there. All right, and it's surprising too that they put Farouk in a position like that because they had just debuted the Nation of Domination character with him. Yeah, so it was like you would think that that would have been a platform to highlight him, maybe as the sole survivor of that team. Right, but like I said, they were short on time. And uh, it was um, it, it it wasn't to be. As we see uh, clips here, they interviewed some fans outside the arena before the event. Obviously, talking about the Shawn Michaels Bret Hart clash and um, who's uh, who who they think is going to come out the winner. It was that important of a match yeah. um, that they that they brought. They kind of presented that element. Yeah, uh, it's crazy too because th- this match only as much of there was real life build for what a year and a half. That match wasn't booked until Shawn Michaels won Hell in a Cell. Correct. That was a Correct. month. A month to really put over what is one of the, you know, you would put on the Mount Rushmore of rivalries in wrestling history. Yes. Um, which is a, a show topic for another day. But, yep. Um, yeah, so to think think about that. Like, obviously everyone knew it was happening, but, like, man, like, you only got a month out of it. I guess, based on the notes that I have here, what about... Are we gonna are we gonna go over maybe the Mount Rushmore of best teams? Yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. we're gonna Mount Rushmore at all. We're gonna go best teams. We're gonna go worst teams. I've got best teams and best matches and best Survivor Series matches. Yeah, we're not gonna just the this well over the course of not just the Survivor Series elimination matches, but a couple matches matches. Right. Oh, I don't matches. have any of that. But if you want to share some of your Survivor, well, Se- well, I don't know. Well, tell me which way you want to go with this. You, at the you, you know what so, surprised me. So uh, let's go with the best teams actually. So okay. The criteria that I put together for this for me was. I have the superlatives that each of these have are this, and I'll, and I'll reveal the superlatives and I'll put the team with them in a second. But there was one team that I that I put on this Mount Rushmore because they were the best collection of talent that I mm-hmm. could, that could gather. That's saying a lot okay. for Survivor Series history because again, it's the All Star Game. You know what I mean? The other one I put on there because to me it was for me like the coolest name of the team, and okay. the talent in there was obviously worthy as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe all the talent there are Hall of Famers too. Um, so that's a great collection of teams. And then there's the uh, another one that's on there for the si- historical significance of the team. 
Um, and then, so best collection of talent, coolest team name, greatest historical significance, and then one which is going to be, and you'll find out, it, it, it's apropos to be on here, but it's the most interesting concept or storyline. Um, so I'll go up with the best collection of talent in terms of being on the team. I'm going Team WWF from 2001 Survivor Series that had The Rock, Chris Jericho, Undertaker, Kane, Big Show in hmm. the fight for the survival of WWF. Okay. Um, right. It's one of the best teams. Okay. Um, and while the storyline is obviously historically left a lot to be desired, what, the a, shits. Fucking, what a fucking team. Yeah, you know, a stacked team, yeah. team. And that match stack was team, a yeah. good, fun match, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, made you forget how shitty the storyline was. Yes. Yeah. Um, Greatest historical significance, I'm going 1990, the million dollar team. Obviously, for the Ooh, sole reason of being okay. the birth of The Undertaker. All right, yeah, um, I like it. Obviously, his performance wasn't anything um, that wowed you in terms of what he did in the ring, but it was everything that happened when he on his way there and on his way out. And that obviously set the tone for what we've just seen, you know, all the leading up to, you know, his Hall of Fame induction mm-hmm. past WrestleMania. So the million dollar team goes on there because it is the... The birthplace of the Undertaker um, in Hartford, Connecticut. Um, coolest team name. I was going with also from 1990, the Warriors, the Road Warriors, the Modern Day Warrior, Warrior Kerry Von Erich, or the Texas Tornado, and the Ultimate Warrior. I thought hmm. that was a cool name and also a great mishmash of talent yep. that you wouldn't see otherwise interact with each other. Okay. You know what I mean? And then for me, the most interesting concept. I wouldn't even say storyline, although there are a mishmash of storylines in this, was, apropos, the wildcard team of 1995. Heartbreak Kid Shawn Michaels, Ahmed Johnson, the British Bulldog, and Sid. I thought that was such a cool concept. I wish they could modernize that. I like that, yeah. That was a Bill Watts thing. I know that 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 is not given a lot of love. It is considered one of the more... You know, uh, stinkers. It's a downer in Survivor Series history. Um, of decisions and creativity. I thought it was cool. Yep. Because the other team, I believe, had like Owen and... Owen, Yoko, yeah. Razor, and and Dean Douglas. Exactly. That is a... So again, it, 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 mish, it, it forced guys who hated each other to team together. It forced guys that were aligned with each other to face each other. It was an interesting concept. I'd love for them to bring it back. Um, you know, in some fat former fashion for the Survivor Series. And to me, it was interesting to see. And it was also somewhat of the foundation that was laid for the Shawn Michaels storyline that led to his WrestleMania title win with the concussion angle that happened the next night and having the Insiguri kick from Owen. So not necessarily historically significant per se, but it, it does, it's memorable in that nature. But again, wild card team is the wild card of the Mount Rushmore's for me to round out my best Survivor Series team. We just saw a little bit of a wild card team there itself in front of us. Vader, Gold Dust, Mark Merrow, and Steve Blackman as they're getting ready to take on Team Canada that consists of the British Bulldog, Davey Boy Smith, Jim the Anvil Neidhart, Doug Furness, and Philip LaFon. Low-key tech. Philip LaFon is the only Canadian out of the group. Yeah, um, I did low-key like that Team Furness and LaFon. Yeah. Never went, they never went anywhere. They didn't go anywhere. Um, but but I, uh, I thought there was potential for them. But yeah, here's um, Gold Dust, fresh off of his... Um, his, uh, how would you say, his departure uh, of uh, from Marlena. Yeah. They had uh, filmed that vignette a week prior, and uh, he he pretty much said, I'm done with you. And I think that's them saving face for when Brian Pillman had passed away. Yeah. 
Because um, I because I the the I think it's been acknowledged that that angle would have culminated in some ways with Marlena all, joining um, Pillman, yeah, like and turning on syndrome yeah. type of thing, yeah. So yeah, they had to obviously kind of they pivoted a little bit because of the nature of the the, yeah, the real life the circumstances. Um, all right, I'll give you my best yeah. teams, my my Mount Rushmore of greatest Survivor Series teams. I'm going to start with um, one of your picks, uh, the Warriors from 1990, the Ultimate Warrior, the Texas Tornado, Kerry Von Erich, and the Legion of Doom. Yep. Uh, like like you, I was very intrigued by not only cosmetically the look of all these guys together as a team, but the name itself, the Warriors. Yeah, it fit. Um, it, yeah definitely fit. Made sense. Um, I remember seeing the you know the, the famous picture with the brick wall backdrop, and you see all four. They just look there; it's just so intimidating. I think I even posted the picture on our yeah, social yeah, media. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a pretty cool visual. Um, fast forward to uh, or rewind back to 1989. Another really cool visual of a team that I thought worked well together, and it was just a cool, you know, uh, mix up of all these guys that you never would think would team together. Which is the beauty of Survivor Series, the Hulkamaniacs, Hulk Hogan, Jake the Snake Roberts, Demolition yep. from 1989. Yeah, um, 1989 uh, WWF is is one is regarded as one of the the the, the best years um, creatively, uh, match wise, in terms of the the, the product itself of the Definitely. WWF. There's a meme uh, of a still shot of the that those four cutting their promo right yep. for that match, and I I think the popular meme is, and they're all jacked up, ready to go, and right. Yep. Or it's a GIF even. It might even be a GIF. And, and it's captioned with like, when you and your homies are about to drop the hottest mixtape. Because like, Hogan's, re- you know, he's, he's yeah. classic Hogan. And then and Demolition and Jake the Snake. And they're yeah. just hyped up. And it's like, that's what I always think of when I think of that team. But when you, when you, if you were to list like on the baby face side, you know, because at the time you get, you know, when they, when they, they structured, you know, who were the baby face and who were the heels creatively internally within the company, you, uh, you could argue that Hogan, Warrior, Jake, Demolition yeah. yep. were all those were, were the top yeah. were the cream of the crop for baby faces. Yep. And then on the heel side, you had DiBiase, Savage, Andre the Giant, and you know Rick Rude or whoever. You know what I mean? Like you you had the yeah that was like the cream of the crop Absolutely. right there. Yeah, um, the best so, of the best of the best. Yeah, all and four I, stringers. Yeah, and I I love that team. They they would end up defeating uh, the million dollar team, yep. which was Ted DiBiase, Zeus, and the Powers of Pain. Yeah, um, another team that makes my list of the greatest Mount Rushmore um, because of their dominant victory as well as just the the pairing was DX in 2006. Uh, yeah. Sean Hunter, Punk, and the Hardys. Yep. Um, as, as disappointed as I was back then what, of how it transpired, that was a pretty fucking cool dream team at yep. that time. Definitely. Punk was on the rise. The Hardys had just reunited. DX was still pretty hot mm-hmm. as, as, as a top act. Yep. And... You know, all the stars were aligned. And the last team that makes my Mount Rushmore of Survivor Series teams is Team Austin from 2003. Ooh. Shawn Michaels, RVD, Booker T, and the Dudley Boys. That is a really good team. And they represented Stone Cold Steve Austin in his battle with Eric Bischoff mm-hmm. and for control of Monday Night yeah. Raw when they had the co-GM thing. So yep. um, that's... A, that's a, that that rounds out my my Mount Rushmore. There you go. Of, I like uh, that. There's a few five. teams that I want that I also listed that like obviously I like I left off Mount. I got Rushmore. a couple Mount honorable mentions. Yeah, yeah shoot yeah, for yeah. it. Yeah, um, the Heenan family in 1988. Andre, Rick Rude, Harley Race, Mr. Perfect, and I'm like, all right, well, I guess we'll put Dino Bravo in there, guys. 
fucking stud team right there. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, top to bottom. Just because he sold cigarettes to the mob doesn't mean that, yeah, you know, yeah. he should he be left off the Mount Rushmore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I thought that was a very good team. Um, another good team, we're going to go all the way back. We're going to, not all the way back, all the way forward. Um, when the brand extension was reintroduced in 2016, Team SmackDown, consisting of AJ Styles, Bray Wyatt, Dean Ambrose, or now John Moxley, Randy Orton, and Shane McMahon. Yes! I thought that was... That's a, that was a stacked team. As much as I was not... This was probably a turning point for me because I did not embrace the brand re-splitting at this point, but by Survivor Series, they had kind of solidified the brands and they were clashing. And it was kind of exciting, yep. I thought. Um Especially because Shane was still relatively fresh in his return um, in terms of matchups he could have. Like, I wanted to see him wrestle Kurt Angle um, while that didn't actually happen. Uh, I thought that was something that, like, was going to happen. I know Angle hadn't been back yet, but, like, the rumors were swirling. Yeah, that he was coming in. Yeah, I mean, so I was like, great, Shane McMahon. Um, But, yeah, I I thought that was just a really stacked team. Um, That was one that I put on as honorable mention. Uh, What's another one? Oh, well, I have another... Well, no, go ahead. You go. You go. That's probably, I think, the, um, the only honorable mention. An honorable mention for me would be from 1987. Macho Man Randy Savage, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Jake the Snake Roberts, Brutus Beefcake, and Hacksaw Jim Duggan. It's a Hall of Fame team. Yeah. I mean, at, at that time, you know, yeah, I wouldn't... You know, you had, you had a good mixture of a top guy and Randy Savage and maybe even Ricky Steamboat. Yeah. Jake Roberts, Hacksaw and Beefcake were kind of holding down the mid card. I mean, you had a good mixture of like, you know, like utility players. Definitely. All on that team. And they, they defeated the team of captain by honky tonk man, King Harley race, Danny Davis, Hercules and outlaw Ron Bass. Uh, While that team wasn't as stacked um, as we see that impressive suplex by Davey boy on Vader. We're talking over this match here. This is a um, this was this was a, a thrown together match here. Mm-hmm. Um, originally, the Patriot was scheduled to be the captain of this team, and he had torn his tricep for like the fiftieth time at that point. He was he never came back, right? He did not come back. Yeah, he was gone after. This, yeah, he so. was gone after this. Um, so that was where they inserted Steve Blackman into the mix. Steve Blackman posed as a fan, jumping the guardrail to save yep. Vader. Uh, a uh, couple like, days like prior, Vader needed saving. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> I mean, at that time, Vader wasn't <laughs> Vader wasn't the Vader of old. Let's just no, put it no, that no. way. Um, I mean, when when you get beat up by Paul Orndorff in, in the shower and flip flops, yeah, um, yeah, he might he might tend to need some saving every once in a while. Um, but the collection of toughness in this match is no joke. Davy Boy Smith, British Bulldog. We're talking about the people in this match, right? You, like Jim Neidhart semi-Olympic athlete and like shot put. That's right. Football. That's right. Um, fucking stud athlete. Um, I wish I could tell you more about Furnace and LaFond, but they, Furnace is an Oklahoma yeah. boy. And I know that he had done some, uh, I, I think he, I, I want to say he might've played football or maybe even amateur wrestling out of Oklahoma, but it, okay. Stud athlete. Yeah. And uh, then, don't know much about LaFond, but then you look on the other side and all those guys are, are, you know, Blackman with his martial arts background. Mark Merrill with his Golden Gloves background. Yep. Vader being a, a stud football player, and then Dustin Rhodes just being the the natural athlete that yep. he was, the natural wrestler that he was. Like, like, like there is a, um, you know, on the underneath, beneath the surface level, there are, there, you know, this this is a collection of what eight people that, yeah, I, I wouldn't be fucking with. I remember, I I remember thinking back then in '97, 
that with the success of the Calgary Stampede, when you had the hearts against, you know, Austin Shamrock, Goldust, and the Legion of Doom, that they were going to build another tag match of that size um, at Survivor Series. I didn't think that Austin and Owen was going to be a thing at, at Survivor Series. If anything, with Austin's injury, I thought he was going to captain a team and it would be like Owen, Davey, and Anvil and maybe the other two. Right. And then Austin would have to find um, partners and, and that would be the team there. Um, yeah. They did go a different route, obviously, with Austin and, and Owen. But I just remember enjoying the, the, the Calgary Stampede 10-man tag so much that when they were returning to Canada, although it wasn't Calgary, it was Montreal, and they had a strong following that it was going to be um, very similar in terms of anticipation and hype. And yeah. it turned out not to be the case, and it was just a very thrown-together um, matchup that was put on the card here. Yeah. Um, but it would, But things would spawn... You know, off of this match, a couple mm-hmm. things, mainly the transformation of the Goldust character. We yep. saw, you know, early parts of it. Formerly known as Goldust. Yeah, you know, yeah. stuff with him and Vader would eventually um, with w- would lead off. You know, their 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 rivalry. He would, you know, pair up with Luna. Yep. Um, but as we know, Davy Boy and Anvil, we wouldn't really see much of them again until WC. Actually, no, Anvil had a quick cameo. They wrote him off. Montreal. They wrote him off with like DX, like kind of burying him a little bit. Yeah. Um. And then Bulldog obviously left and then came back in '99, and there was a uh, some optimism towards a main event run with him there, which um I thought was solid. Yeah. For him, um, obviously never won the big one. You definitely put him in that Mount Rushmore of you know never having won a title. Yeah. Or get you know he could be on some for any, but um, yeah. Um, there was definitely a lot that happened to a lot of these guys afterwards. You know, just watching this match, I totally forgot that Vader and Bulldog had a rivalry in WCW over the heavyweight championship was in 93. 93, yeah. I was yeah. going to say 92, but yeah, 93. I totally yeah. forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was Which, it the whole like Bash of the Beach thing where like the boat exploded and like that is Sid a, and that, like... I'm telling you right now, it's a piece of cinematic art. Yes. Uh, yeah. That was that, that was before COVID, you know, yeah. made the cinematic. I'm telling you, I, during COVID, I did a watch along of that show, that episode of WCW Saturday Night by myself. Okay. <laughs> because we were still under quarantine period. Sure. Yeah, yeah, people yeah. didn't want to come over and shit. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I was trying to produce for this audience that listens to this show. And I did a, a watch along of that, that WCW Saturday Night. I want to say it was June. 17th 1993 yeah um, that makes sense but if you go back in the archives yeah i watched that that cinematic masterpiece and Ooh. man it is freaking hilarious yeah, uh, yeah it is hilarious the fact that they dedicated that much time as hokey as it was it's like an underground cult favorite the like, oh definitely the likes of which you know like like you know on shockmaster levels Oh yeah, definitely. You know? That's definitely got probably has its own episode of on uh, what happened when, right? With Tony Schiavone and Conrad. Yeah. Oh, That's I'm sure. Like it's probably yeah. one of the trademarks too. But, I'm yeah. sure of it. But uh, yeah, we're we're kind of steaming through this match a little bit, fizzling through it, I guess you can say. But um, I was another Mount Rushmore. I guess I don't know I don't, that I put together was um, 
was just matches in general in the history of Survivor Series. Obviously, like singles many, matches, tag matches, any match. You know? Okay, I mean, you know, obviously there is the the Survivor Series element to it, but there's also various matches um, that get you know that that are acclaimed enough to you know when we talk about like greatest WrestleMania matches. Yep, like, yep. You know, it's, All it's right, let's hear. It. So because yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I didn't I didn't compile a list for that, but I'm interested to see. What you've put together. So I put together, again, based off of some superlatives. Um, one of them is a match that had some insurmountable challenges to it that were overcome to make what I thought was an unbelievably very good match. Um, another one that a star is born. Um, you know, and it was it happened to be a Survivor Series elimination match where the performance of one superstar... Uh, Spawned a superstar that we are still seeing today. Um, another one being uh, storyline, best concept, best storyline. The storyline for this match I thought was so well done um, to make what at the time you weren't even thinking about classic matches at Survivor Series. Mm-hmm. And then one, of course, having greatest historical significance. So I'll just start off with that one. I'm sure we're all the greatest historical significance superlative is going to go to the main event of this one: Brett versus Sean. Uh, 1997, the screw job for reasons we'll probably go into Ooh, a little bit. It's pretty yeah. ugly there. Um, we'll go into that a little bit. I'm sure when we when that match comes up here, but um, you can't talk about Survivor Series without Montreal and the screw job crossing. That's what mind. most people talk about. They don't talk about any of the rest of this shit on this show. Well, this show's not even that good. No. Um, if they're if we're gonna talk about a Mount Rushmore of actual cards, this is probably on the worst Mount, Mount yeah. Rushmore. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd make that argument um, too. But yeah, uh, for obvious reasons. You know, to me, Montreal is like, um, it's like the Kennedy assassination of, of um, you know, pro wrestling history. Everyone yep. knows where they were when it took place. Um, all different types of theories behind all, it. All different ty- exactly. Which, uh, by the way, what act, a- the, the the unintended consequences of what took place, the the fallout, and so much that changed. Um, I remember specifically before you know, and I'll let you get back to your thought. Um, I remember us having a conversation, eight-year-old me at the time, and that weekend or leading into that weekend, you had told me you had read online about the rumor that Bret Hart was leaving the WWF, and I didn't know about it till that weekend. Yeah, it, it, and, was, and it felt like it was being reported, like literally, like breaking news. Yeah, and I was like, "Whoa, for wait, any what? of us?" Yeah, and and obviously, <clears throat> you know, you still had to wait to see what was going to happen at Survivor Series, and we did not watch the show live, but. Um, Mom and Dad only let us get pay-per-views every once in a while. Yeah, we, you I, know, I feel like I I watched some of the Squiggly Line channel on pay-per-view, and then I had to go to bed, so I didn't actually go through and see what happened at the Screw Job Live. But um, I remember you telling me again. I remember you telling me what it ha- what was you know that that this was the news that broke, and I think for a kid like me, and I think for many people, like Bret Hart was like the sting of WWF. Yeah. He like he was never gonna leave. Yeah, you know what I mean, he was. He that's was. I, I've never, I've never used that analogy, but that's like, good. I like that. So when, so when, obviously, what happened happened. It changed because it was like, and Bret Hart was so hot as as a as a talent as a performer. He was as, probably at his most interesting. So with the fact that he was going to WCW and when the fallout that took place, it was like, oh man, the rich just got richer. They just got this hot commodity. And as a WWF fan, I was like, oh my God, like what's going to happen now? Like everything changed. Yeah. So again, greatest historical significance between me personally and what actually unfolded and, you know, the years that followed. So that's number one. And, you know, that's on the list, not number one, but um, 
best concept slash storyline. 2007, Shawn Michaels versus Randy Orton for the WWF title, WWE Championship. Excuse mm. me. Um, Shawn Michaels beat wasn't him. allowed to use the yes. super kick, otherwise he'd get disqualified. Exactly, and that's the story. Great story. Great. That, you Very know, underrated. Not, doesn't get talked about enough. The, you know, the, the the gunslinger can't use his, his six shooter. You know what I mean? He has mm-hmm. to find another way to win. And God damn it, he came close. Yeah. And then at the very end, his instinct kicked in. He tried to. He he thought of putting the super kick on Orton. Had to hesitate because he knew he couldn't. Boom! RKO match over. Such a great match. To me, might even be the best singles match or best match period in the history of Survivor Series. Such an excellent match. Yeah. You can, yeah. Um, and I remember just being so enthralled with it too, because like as much I, I loved Orton. Especially at that time, and I loved how he was getting his his just due. Mm-hmm. But I was like, man, I, I would not mind seeing Shawn Michaels get another run with this title. Um, and uh, my next one, A Star Is Born. We're gonna go to 2013, The Shield and the Real Americans versus Cody Rhodes, Goldust, Rey Mysterio, and the Usos. Roman Reigns, sole survivor, eliminated everybody, and a star is born. The tribal chief. I didn't think you were going to go that route. I thought you were going to go Rocky defeated oh, in 96. No. Oh, no. Oh, that's no, interesting. I didn't even no. think of that. A star is born. All Roman right. Reigns, I like it. Roman Reigns was obviously a, a, a charismatic He was acknowledged on that day. For the first time. Yes. Um, but for that whole year prior, like you could tell he was just different than the other two being Rollins and Ambrose. So you kind of sort of knew at some point they were gonna they were gonna start pouring some steam on this guy, and that was it. One year later, he he was, it was happening. Yeah. The, the Vince Dust, the machine was being was being was was well behind Roman and getting ready to to get him going. Okay. And that to me, you can look back and say, that's. In many ways, we talk about like the Diesel runs that happened in the Royal Rumble. You know, yep. in past histories. Or the, he had that moment. Yeah, that, that is the equivalent of that in the Royal Rumble world, or in the, in the Survivor. But he Series also world, broke you know that I mean? record too, didn't he? Exactly. He broke that. Yeah, he, he broke yeah. the elimination. He broke Kane's elimination yeah. record in the Royal Rumble. So it's at one it's point. one of those things that they use to build you up. You know, when Diesel had his run in '94, that was leading to him down the road becoming. That a was the blueprint guy. for for you know how, how to I mean? build a guy. So how in to a build Rumble a guy? Match. How do we build a guy in this? Set of circumstances we've created in services. You just have them eliminate everybody. Yeah. And be the sole survivor and look strong doing it. Yeah. Um, so that to me is a star is born. And we're going to go to, on that point, the most grave insurmountable challenge um, that that was overcome to make this match as great as it was. 2020 Roman Reigns versus Drew McIntyre in the Thunderdome was an excellent match. Yes. At the Survivor Series. Holy wow. shit! It might be the it might be one of the best matches in the Thunderdome era, which is I, I will I, I would have to agree with you that, and I think the I Quit Hell in a Cell with with Jay are the two. But man, like God damn, like the fruits of the of the labor came to be with Roman Reigns there. He he came and saved the WWE in my opinion by returning. There was that was a floundering time in COVID, obviously, to not have your top star. He comes back. He has a, he's a revitalized character head of the table we're seeing it unfold still to this day and you know he goes up against the guy who was doing his best to hold up the 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 ship and drew mcintyre and they put on a fucking classic yes um with no audience fucking nobody in front of nobody and um in my opinion honestly i think it's better than their match at class of the clash of the castle i thought that was an excellent match and again, probably okay. because of the challenges they had to overcome okay. being in front of nobody. Interesting. It's an excellent match. So that, that is an out. interesting set so of 
So that rounds out my, my Mount Rushmore of best matches. I'll just sum up real quick. Greatest historical significance being Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart, the Montreal Screwjob. Um, best concept and storyline, Shawn Michaels in 2007 against Randy Orton. Uh, in 2013, Roman Reigns being born as a star in the making um, in 2013 with, with The Shield on his team. And then again, Roman Reigns, at this point, seven years later, head of the table against Drew McIntyre having to just pump out good shit after good shit amongst heaping piles of shit in the Thunderdome uh, against Drew McIntyre. So, yeah, that, that's my Mount Rushmore best matches. You know what? I'm going to – I'll slowly formulate myself a Mount Rushmore of best non-classic Survivor Series matches. I'll put Randy Orton and Shawn Michaels from 2007 up there. Okay. Okay? I will put – and – I will put this up only because of the finish of this match, which was at the time with the bell. That was awful. That was awful. Thank God this match is over. Davy Boy wins. Soul Survivor, the Canadian hero, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Nineteen ninety-eight in a semifinal match for the in in the tournament for the WWF Championship, Mankind and Stone Cold Steve Austin when Shane McMahon runs into the ring as the referee and double flips off Austin. And Mankind defeats Austin to advance to the finals of the WWF Championship tournament. And that was a fun pay-per-view. That, I'll I'll get to that in a minute. That was one of the best, that was the highlight of that show for me, was that match and that finish. So I'll put that up there as a non-classic Survivor Series match on my Mount Rushmore. Um, Brett and Sean from from Montreal because of the historical significance of it. And if I were to throw one more match in there, one more match. Well, you got it before, you got three now. Yeah, I know, I got three. I got to throw, no, I got, I got. Oh, it's Sean and Sean Orton. and Hunter, Sean and Brett. Wait, you said Sean and Hunter or Sean and Sh- Orton? Sean and Orton. Yeah, Sean and Brett. Uh, Austin, Austin and Mankind, and <clears throat> um, trying to think here. Well, I had some honorable mentions. Maybe that'll help jog your memory a little bit. All right, yeah, um, jog my memory a little bit. Um, for a good storyline match, Brett versus Bob Backlund in 1994, I thought was entertaining as all hell it had such um it had it had stuff to sink your teeth into with the whole owen situation and the towel and you know how that went down yeah um let me think uh brett versus austin in 1996 uh bingo done there you go done a star is born done yeah done that's Um, my fourth but yeah and i'll keep kind of going with 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 honorable mentions um triple h versus rick flair in 2005 I almost put that in there. That was was one. I was thinking about that. I was was excited for that because Ric Flair spent, I thought, a lot longer than he should have under uh, the tutelage of Triple H. As weird as that sounds, an evolution, and it was time to kind of give him one last run. Yeah, and that was as good as. You know, it's a great match on that show too. That gets that's very underrated. John Cena, Kurt Angle for the WWE title. Ah. When a SmackDown referee made the finish instead of a Raw referee, kind of throwing a little dusty finish in there. I thought that was a. An excellent match. And then also, in terms of, I'll give it the OMG, shock value, Brock Lesnar versus Goldberg in 2017. We were sitting right across the table oh, yeah. here we were watching there. this pay-per-view. And I thought we think, you know, I think all the conventional wisdom was like, oh, Goldberg's just going to get his one match, his one little run. Like, 
we're gonna they're gonna pop a buy rate if you will you know get get some attention on this pay-per-view and uh you know brock will come out with the victory yeah a minute and 25 seconds later we're talking about what the endless possibilities yeah. of what Goldberg's going to do. Yeah. And that was cool shit. Yep. Um, that was pretty cool. I wasn't disappointed even slightly. I thought that was like actually it was a throwback way to, than, It was a throwback to him and what he... And his presentation him, exactly. in WCW. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I thought that was um, a low-key awesome match for as short as it was. Um, and the, I would say probably for historical significance in the same way that we show appreciation for the main event of WrestleMania 1. I think it's important to show appreciation for the main event of the original Survivor Series. Hogan's Hulk, team and Hulk, Andre's yes. team. Yes. Um, again, not for any reason that is um, technically sound or anything. The hype going into it because, yeah. of the, because of the implications from WrestleMania, Yes, I think, and Hogan and Andre's match made that match. Yes, and I think one thing that's important to remember too is it looks like you could see the beginnings of like how they're developing the Survivor Series concept even in that match. Like for instance, like a young Bam Bam Bigelow is in that match. He's clearly playing the role of the up and comer. He's clearly the underdog. You know what I mean? Being part of this team of innately they were stacked. Talents, you know what I mean? They're stacked. So like like it was a little one night faction and he was the he was going to by association get a, get this shine just by being on the team. Yeah. And that's what you know, just those little techniques, that's I'm not saying that's where it was birthed, but for the concept of the pay per view and that's in that specific match, you know, gimmick, that carried on, has carried on for the for the most part. You always mm-hmm. think about like even now when you like want a fantasy book a Survivor Series match, like you throw in your your captains, your studs, your 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 all stars. And then there's always that last spot open for the the future yep. diamond in the yeah. rough, if you will. Yep. Oh yeah. Um, and that's where I think you could argue that that's what that is too. And again, it, I think you got to throw props to that match for being the headlining match of the first Survivor Series. It's the second longest running pay per view in the history of WWE behind WrestleMania. So um, you it know. set the table too for the Hogan Andre rematch. Because yes. Andre ended up being the sole survivor in that match. Yes. Hogan was eliminated early. I would say early, but Hogan was the second to last to be eliminated. Yep. It was Andre defeating Bigelow, who was the up-and-comer. Yep. who was Put on a good showing, it, if you will. Exactly. You know, they, 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 they set the table pretty well for that. Even though as a kid, I was really upset that Hogan was yep. eliminated by a count-out because he was my guy. Yep. It, 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 it told a great story. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's a pretty good honorable mention. I like that. Uh, while we're on the subject of, of, um, well, actually, no, let's 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 pivot back here to this as we're watching the the hype video for Kane and Mankind. Um, this is Kane's first official sanctioned match in the WWF following his debut a month prior at the Bad Blood uh, pay per view, which Dennis and I uh, recorded a watch along of that oh, yeah. last month. Uh, of the Hell in the Cell match with Kane's debut. So you can check that out in the archives over at the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network by searching Retromania with a W. Uh, it's it's titled, It's Gotta Be Kane! Yeah. That's the title of the, the recording. You'll find that there as Dennis and I uh, had a lot of fun recording that here. Uh, let's play the audio for this Mankind interview. I don't want this to be remembered as a wrestling match because it won't be. It's mankind against the brick wall. Now, how do you face a brick wall? Common sense would say you walk around or you climb over. 
But that's not my way. I'm going to get a head start, Jimmy. And I'm going to launch myself into that brick wall. And when it does not fall, I'll get up and do it over and over again. And like Paul Bearer said, I may die trying, but I may not. So Uncle Paul, if that wall goes down, well, it's just you and me. The man you referred to after giving a year of my life, you referred to me as a pebble. You gave my soul, and you called me a pebble. So when I sink these two fingers deep inside your trembling, flabby jowls, and your eyes begin to pop out of your evil little mind, I'm going to ask you one simple question. Do I look like a pebble now? Do I? Do I? Have a nice day. So pretty good. <laughs> That's a pretty good promo. Now let me ask you this. as We, 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 we head into this match here with uh, Kane and Mankind. How important was was it for Kane's first rivalry building towards Undertaker? Um, how important was it for the mankind for for it to be mankind in this? Like, could it have been could it have been anybody else, and would it have had the same impact? No, no, it couldn't be anyone else, and no, it wouldn't have had the same impact. Mankind, I think, at this time had established himself as someone that is suffering for the sake of all of us, <laughs> um, and. And in that fashion, he could lose a lot, and it wouldn't matter. He mm-hmm. could get the shit kicked out of him, and it wouldn't matter. It would make us cheer for him more. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that is so much to do with the person behind the character that is that is making that happen. With um, where he doesn't lose his own shine. Um, so he basically needed somebody to Kane needed somebody to beat up that was credible and could could really make Kane look good. Mm-hmm. Um, and at, there was within the character and the person playing the character um, and the work that that McFoley puts it, put in, there was really, whether it was happenstance or not, there's really no better or other option. Now I may be biased here because I'm a cactus Jack Mark, but do you think a cactus Jack insertion into this rivalry could have made it just yeah. as important and just as impactful. Oh, yeah. And, and I, and what I mean by anybody, I just mean any other person like yeah. fully cactus Jack dude love. No, like, no, I know what you mean. Have, I'm just curious yeah. because, they, um, I don't think it could have been fucking Kurgan, you know what I yep. mean? Or something like that. Like it was who it was. And you know, or it was somebody who was perfect for it because they were credible no matter how wins and losses weren't the story. here. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It, to Mick Foley's, to Mankind's promo. It's not a wrestling match. It's a fight. Um, you know, these guys are going to mutilate each other in a lot of respects, even though there isn't any hardcore element to this. Um, but he's going to he's gonna show Kane's greatest strengths while also in many ways showing his greatest strengths, mm-hmm. which is how to take an ass kicking. Yeah. And no one's going to think less of him because of that. Okay. Interesting. And any of those characters, Dude Love, Mankind, Cactus Jack, would have all, that they all would have pulled that off. I mean, I get it from the perspective of that, like, Mankind had the storyline um, tie-in with Paul Bear as, you know, Paul Bear being his former manager. And so I understand that they were going with Mankind. And also the Mankind character had become a sympathetic figure with the, with the audience based on those sit-down interviews with Jim Ross. Yep. And like you said, Mankind was establishing himself as a player. 
the Mankind character was. Although, in a, for a brief moment in time, they had used Cactus Jack yep. in the rivalry with Triple H. And while, yes, it's the same person, Mick Foley portraying these two different characters... Yes, although it was in WCW, historically speaking, Cactus Jack always worked well with bigger guys, mainly Vader. And I feel like the Cactus Jack character inserted into this this rivalry with Kane, I, I think it would have been just as interesting as the Mankind character. I would agree in the sense that like, I feel like it would have probably been a good progression in terms of like, okay, he beats the tar out of Mankind. Um, who is a more sympathetic figure, and then Mick Foley has to resort know, to resort to going to that place to that place, which is Cactus Jack, who is more of a intimidating threat, yeah, than mankind. Therefore, less really, cartoonish. Yeah, but you, you're it's posing a challenge to Kane. Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, so it actually is in some ways a more unpredictable matchup mm-hmm. than this one, where this is just like, you know. How much punishment can mankind take? Yeah. Um, whereas a Cactus Jack could really, really sharpen Kane up even more heading into the Undertaker. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that, from that vantage point, coming off of this, that would have been really cool to see on a one-off at like a at the next pay per view or whatever. Uh huh. What did you think of um, the red light presentation with Kane? Uh, it's. I mean, I didn't. I didn't at the time. I probably. I didn't really have much of a. A thought on it either way if you know if i saw during it, the match i mean not not the the entrance itself but the, with the match itself yeah yeah i didn't really have much of a opinion on it i think if i saw it today i'd probably try to outsmart myself into thinking it wasn't good but mm-hmm. um i yeah i didn't I, it, it, whatever i mean i could see where i could see the the effort being put into something to make it they're trying to match him with undertaker in the sense that like undertaker had the blue light Granted, he didn't wrestle with it during his matches, but Kane had the red light, and it was used during his matches. Kind of set like a a horror movie like vibe you're in to hell. like you're in hell. Yeah, with him. exactly, like a horror movie yeah. type of vibe. Yeah. Um, at, at at one point in time, I remember thinking to myself, "Well, what if it's like, what if it's like I I hate to use this term, but his superpower in a way. Yeah, you know, he he, he throws he hits the flames and the lights go red." And that's like where he's most at demonic, home. where he's at home. Yep. And then if I think the that's red, what it essentially is. And then if the red light isn't on, that's where you could see Kane at his, his weakest or he's where he's most vulnerable. Well, I don't know if you'd want to present it like that because then it, I think that. But not for like, everybody. What I'm a, saying, like, I in, think that like I, with the rivalry with Undertaker at the very least, I would look at it as a more serious version of like when the bell rang and Festus went from like asleep to awake. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where the lights go red, you know, he's hit the flames and he's, he's the cane that you, that we know is dangerous. Who's the big red machine. Whereas the lights on and uncle Paul's talking mm-hmm. and he's telling us how big, bad and evil Kane is. Like you said, he's most at home when he's in this, in this element of, I guess this, depiction of his hell his own personal hell you could even argue based on his origin story you know what mm-hmm. i mean um he's bringing that to life and the re- the, the red hue is is represent representing that whereas he is tamed when it's not when he's in the ring for a promo or a segment or whatever where it's not going on you know okay what i mean that's where i feel like you could use that um i wouldn't think it would be 
a service that came to say like okay like red lights off like he can't fight or not that you were saying that either but like um like then it's then it's too much about his effectiveness when he should he should be dangerous for being dangerous mm-hmm. not because um of some mythical superpower yeah yeah like there is something to be said for like lock dialing in and being and this is what he needs to dial in great mm-hmm. that makes all the sense in the world yeah in the same way that you go to the gym you pop on your favorite workout mix and you go and dial in and yep. get your reps in like that that there's something to that yeah so yeah i mean outside of that i think visually speaking like i said i remember like when sin cara did this with the lights and his ill-fated run as triple h's first signee right did he wrestle with the lights on for a while, for a brief time he did and it, okay. it sucked it didn't yeah. work and it was probably they tried doing it with Bray because, Wyatt too. Yeah, for when he when he transformed into the fiend, I do remember that. Yeah, yeah, but then they, I think they, oh, I, I think they, um, then they pivoted to use that more of like the fiends, like, um, you know, his, like capturing of you. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? When like the lights would go out and then the lights would kind of flash around and he would grab you and put the mandible claw on you and like Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't like as a part of his like matches per se. Yeah. Um But yeah, I mean I think there's probably no great way to do this correctly. Or not no, not never. I'm not an absolute guy, but like I'm, it's it's hard to do. It's it's mm-hmm. it sounds it seems like as us we're, we're, while we appreciate the entertainment value that wrestling gives us, we so badly want it to beat wrestling. Yep. And when you pop the lights on like this, I think the initial reaction is to go, but like, let us watch them wrestle. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, and Especially, I mean, it distracts uh, us unnecessarily, and it's partly our fault. I yeah. Think. Well, I mean, it could be partly our fault, but at the same time, it depends on the, the, the presentation and the story, and there's all different variables that factor in. Like when Seth Rollins and, and The Fiend had their Hell in the Cell match and the cage was already red and you had the red light on, like oh. that was a gigantic distraction. Yeah, I because hope, for the record, I hope they fucking axe that milk crate Hell in a Cell. Yeah. <laughs> now that they're apparently no longer doing Hell in a Cell pay-per-views. Yeah, um, that, that, that would be nice. Go back to the, just go back to the regular look at yeah. Hell in a Cell. The red one is fucking stupid. For that, yeah. you're like, exactly. It's just yeah. stupid. But yeah, no, go ahead. Um, but yeah, the, the 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 visual presentation of it, I understand what they were going with with Kane because uh, they were trying to, in a, in, a, in a short period of time, compare him to Undertaker on the same level of of, yes. of being dangerous and yeah. a threat, and it was something that was completely different from any other monster that had went toe to toe with Undertaker over the years from the Kamalas to the giant Gonzalez to the King mm-hmm. Kong Bundy's to, you know, to whomever. Yeah. And it would even continue following Kane. Um, but Kane was definitely the, the closest thing to equal to the Undertaker. Definitely. Um, through, throughout the, the, the trajectory of the Undertaker's career, uh, character-wise. And his presentation, he's in theory, he's like evil Undertaker. Yep. You know, he's ev- that's yeah. what he is. He's evil Undertaker. It's like there's Spider-Man and then there's Venom. Yeah. You know? exactly. Yes. Yeah. You Couldn't know? be a better comparison. That's exactly what it is. The Undertaker being Spider-Man and Kane obviously being Venom. Yeah. Um, and like only he is the one that has the, the to take another super, uh, take another phrase, He only he has the kryptonite. 
yep. to the Undertaker, yeah. like being his brother, you know, being able to weaken him. And as you saw through the storyline, like he, Undertaker was like, "I'm never fighting my brother. Like yeah. it's my own flesh and blood. Like I would never do that to my brother." Um, and then eventually he did, obviously, and that mm-hmm. was a very well done storyline. And again, going back to marquee matches at WrestleMania, that was right. That was right underneath. You know, Austin Michaels. Yep. You know, it was Undertaker and Kane finally getting in the ring after, what, six months of build, between, you know, since Kane's debut, and, and they did an excellent job with that. Oh, yeah. Well, as, as great of opponents as these two were, because this is a pretty fun match for being their first meeting, they worked really well together as a team. I liked the presentation of Kane, Mankind, and Paul Bearer. They kind of yeah. have like an Adams Family type yes. of vibe to it, yep. you know? With mankind, even though he was, he was he had a little bit more of a a, a comedic character to that presentation. Um, oh, this is gonna be a sick bump here, <laughs> Jesus! And that's the part you talked about. How yeah. much of a beating can mankind take and yeah. make it look good to 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 make Kane look even better? Yeah. Well, there was also an element, you know, going back to that 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 pairing of the of them all together. There was an element to mankind that they started to peel back. You know, in the summer of '97, with the videos and all that, of, of of someone who just wanted to be accepted for who they were trying to be, who they were, right? You mm-hmm. know, the the guy jumping off the garage or you know cutting promos as dude love. He wanted to be somebody, right? Yep. And um, that made Mick Foley's character a more likable human being, mm-hmm. more likable character, humanized him. Joining up with Kane and Paul Bearer kind of has that 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 plays into that. He's accepted by them. They accept him into their group of with whatever their ideals are, whether it's destroying the Undertaker, lighting shit on fire, whatever. They accepted mankind, and mankind was embraced. And you saw a more comedic, more jovial character because someone finally accepted him. Yeah, you know what I mean. He, they're freaks. I'm a freak. We're all freaks together. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that was, um, that's what made it work so well because I think mankind tap Mick Foley tapped into that when he when he made that 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 those subtle shifts. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's almost like what we're seeing now in some respects with Sami Zayn and the Bloodline. Mm-hmm. He's finally accepted. Yep. You know what I mean? Not that no one didn't accept him, but like he's got his family. Yeah. You know what I mean? That that that's calls a, them their good, own. That's a good comparison. Yeah. And. Um, he, and, and he's, he's embracing it and putting out, pumping out good shit after good shit after good shit. Oh yeah. Um, and again, like that, that's where I see that's, that's what, that just came to me right here. So yeah. Um, this match here, uh, not bad. Um, it, it served its purpose. Make, make Kane look like this unstoppable monster and, you know, mankind giving him everything he had, um, his best. And uh, just not being enough uh, as they yeah. build towards the eventual showdown with Kane and The Undertaker. And here's the other thing, too, that I think makes this victory that much more impactful for the Kane character at that time. Was the fact that the Mankind character had the number of The Undertaker on more than one occasion. Yes. And Kane decisively beat his ass. Yes. Which shows an advantage with Kane over the Undertaker, which I think wasn't really exploited enough in the story. Yes, and I've always said I always remarked about how over Mankind was because, like we just talked about too, like there was the big monsters through the Undertaker's mo- early run in WWF, mm-hmm. like Giant Gonzalez, Kamala, Yokozuna, like 
you know, you name it, he was always against the resident big guy who was on the come up to face the Undertaker, yeah. right? And that those are the people you could see get the best of the Undertaker. But there was this. Oh, here we go. Let me, let me let me yeah. pause this here real quick. Got to got to hear from Vince and Slaughter. We have extra security backstage. Talking about the main event. Yes. I assure you that. Vince, it's important that WWF fans get to see this match. This match, of course, uh, was to have happened on a number of occasions, and it did not for a number of reasons. Hopefully, we will have none of those reasons, and the fans of Montreal and the fans all over the world will get to see this extraordinary match with two of the greatest WWF superstars in history. Vince, I'm going to put you on the hot seat now. Who's going to win? I don't know. <laughs> Spence McMahon and Commissioner Slaughter. <laughs> well, I'll pivot back to that in a second. So, um, going back to... Where were you? Kane and Mankind. Um, yeah, what about... Wow. Uh, Kane, Kane kind of having the decisive victory over Mankind. Oh. Because Mankind had had, had, had Undertaker's number. Yeah, on, and, on and I was impressed occasions. with Mankind because he was an average-sized human, not superhuman-sized guy, like the Yokos and the Kamala, Kamala's, not Kamala, the, you know, well, Kamala's and all those people, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, those were monsters that got the best of the Undertaker, who was somewhat of a monster, mm-hmm. right? Mankind was just an average-looking-sized guy who yeah. beat the fuck out of the yeah. Undertaker on day one. So yeah. it was very much like, whoa. He went, so, to, he went to a different place to some of those monsters, didn't he? Yeah, and he did it with what most of us appear to have. Yeah. So, yeah. But, yeah. Um, and then going back to that that interview, yeah, it's just obviously history being what it is, seeing that Vince McMahon is like, oh, I don't know who's going to I don't win. know, yeah. But the well, way he know, put, pal. The, yeah, the way he said that, though, I thought was very... Um, you know it's running through his head. Yep. You, oh yeah. Yeah. And at that point, he's already he's all in. He's already made his decision. He, yeah. No. Well, more than that, he's yeah. now he's embracing it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's owning it. Yeah. Um. Not that he's the. It's that's almost like a slight sliver of the Mister McMahon character coming yeah. to life a little. Yeah, bit. I can see that. Oh yeah. I I, that. There's other occasions where it happened probably before, um, like the scuffle, the hockey scuffle at the broadcast table in the summer. Or when Brett shoved him uh, before he cut that promo in the cage. Yep. You know, the, the, the slight, you know, seeds being planted, conceptual idea of the character sort of being peeked at a little bit and mm-hmm. teased. But that's, I would, I would put that as an honorable mention as being one of those instances right there is just that smirk and that, I don't know. So <laughs> I want to bring this up during this match because I think it's important to note. Okay. Yeah. That during this time period, in the build-up to this traditional Survivor Series match that we're going to watch right now, Ken Shamrock, Ahmed Johnson, the Legion of Doom against the Nation of Domination, um, these two teams were, in some ways, on television, intertwined with the Hart Foundation and DX. Mm-hmm. It was Degeneration X, at least it had appeared, that set up the Hearts with the Nation. Oh, when they like trash the when they trash the locker room, pink and they they spray painted. Which, by the way, I watched that episode of Raw, and they totally edited out the footage of the locker room being trashed with the with the KKK and the Malcolm X symbol and all that other stuff. That was like an early episode of of Raw, like early October, I should say. I watched that recently. I've been watching a lot of Raws leading up to this this uh, Survivor Series to to get ready for this watch long. Well, 
we touched on it at the beginning of this recording that you had felt that Brett had to win the match with Sh- against Sean from a storyline perspective in the uh, on the on this pay-per-view. Yes. And while I agree with you, I also agree with the fact that I feel like based on the way things have transpired within the context of the story, not only between Brett and Sean, but between the Hart Foundation and the Nation that they were going to pivot to Hart Foundation Nation following this Survivor Series event and we would see I guess a redemption of sorts of with the Hart Foundation as baby faces almost in a way like almost like like the the USA Canada angles over and they would in a, in a sense apologize I or God damn it. It's had a lot of web watch. Over there. Yeah. Um, I feel like they were leaning towards the hearts as the baby faces against the nation. And they were starting to get some bit some slight baby face reactions against the nation. Yeah. There's a there's a moment in particular that I remember that the nation called out the hearts. It was on that episode where they found out their locker room was trashed. Yep. And they were waiting for the hearts at ringside. In the ring, Farouk calls them all out. Brett's music plays. It gets a pretty significant pop given the fact they're supposed to be heels. Yes. And they come out and you know they 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 appear like they're they're running late. They don't have their coats. They they put they put their coats on and their gears. They're coming out the curtain and then Brett's the last one and it gets the biggest pop. Yep. Do you think that there's some merit to the fact that they were maybe starting to toy with the yes. idea that they were going to turn the hearts back babyface and then pose them against the nation? That had to be, to me, that makes the most sense in a pre-we-can-no-longer-honor-your-contract world of Vince McMahon and Brett conversation. Before that conversation is happening, that's where I envision that okay. being a thing. Okay. Obviously, the day that happened, everything changes. And obviously, continued to change until what we saw, what we'll see soon. But... Yes, I would have happened to agree so. And, and I think that would have been a great place to put the Hart Foundation against the nation, which was, you know, it would have just further elevated those all those rising stars, um, Farouk included, obviously. Yep. Um, and, you know, no, no telling that The Rock would have had, you know, great exchanges in that too. Um, There's I also just, an episode of Raw too that further backs up my point. I think it's the same episode where Brett and Farouk I think are in a match, and this was after the, the they find out that the the locker room's been trashed, and DX make their way out to ringside, and Sean and Hunter are sitting on the announcers table. They're they're, they're eating the bananas and and talking shit, and or maybe it wasn't Farouk and Brett. Well, regardless of the fact, DX helps the Nation win a match. Rude would hand Farouk the briefcase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Farouk would run in the ring and nail. Whoever, I forget who it was. I want to say it might have been Shamrock. Might have been like Shamrock and Rocky or whatever. Shamrock right. and Ahmed against like Rocky and D'Lo or something. And Farouk runs in and nails him with the briefcase. And DX was was helping in that. So I feel right. like they were leaning towards a DX Nation working relationship on screen against the Hearts. And that the Hearts were eventually going to be positioned as the baby faces. I would agree with that, and I think that would probably be something more specific to Bulldog, Owen, you know, Neidhart, and Brett maybe a little bit if he was obviously around. Mm -hmm. Because in my opinion, 
Well, I'm I'm talking like Brett was around. Like the, like yeah, this yeah, is, yeah. like this is before the the yeah, pre yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't honor your contract so, conversation. Right. In my and in my opinion to that point is that Brett needing the win here from a storyline perspective making the most sense doesn't mean that I still think he would have dropped the belt to Sean eventually. Mm-hmm. Maybe at the World Rumble or the following month. Something that was, like that, yeah. That would have still happened. Yeah. You know what I mean? In my opinion, if the story, you know, if the storyline is to be what it is, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It, it, and it would that could have easily brought Brett into the nation stuff with the rest of his family, um, and that would have been a great clash of two groups. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think for the circumstance of the storyline, and yes, where the match is taking place, I think has something to do with it. They sort of alluded to it in that promo with Vince McMahon yep. in terms of like the security and the fans of Montreal. Yep. Um, you know, because again. One of the great storylines of all time had just captivated us that summer with the USA, Canada stuff. Like, so that still existed to some degree here. And I think... It took a back seat when, when they turned Sean heel, I feel like. Oh, it got and, you said and, DX was better. DX, DX's stuff was better than their stuff yeah. at that point. So, but I still think that was still an underlining aspect of the storyline. Not the Bret Hart person saying, I'm not going to lose in Canada. As a storyline, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Versus coupled with Sean taking away all his heat for the last couple. Basically, as, as since, the event, since, since essentially Brett won the belt back. Yeah. You know, it just made the most sense to get Brett out of Survivor Series with the, with the title um, to then maybe drop it in the fu- ensuing months. Um, the rubber match. Exactly. Um, whether that's at WrestleMania... Or, or Royal Rumble, Royal Rumble who knows? Yeah. You know, you know. I know that there's been mixed um, rumors as to when that match was going to happen. According to Brett's recollection, which is probably shaky at best, um, in the rivalries DVD, he had he was under the impression, based on what he was being told, was that him and Michaels were going to square off at WrestleMania. Yep. Um, I've heard that before. Which flies in the face of a, a lot of what happened. Granted, so much changed and was changing. Um, I don't know if the, they needed to go that long, the two of them. Um, especially with... I don't know if they would have with the way with Austin, the way Austin was, was, was... Was steaming around. Yeah. You know, just, you know... It wasn't going to... You know, it was probably going to be, you know, Austin Michaels anyways. Um, so... Or Austin Michaels Brett. Shake it up. They could have gone that way too, yeah. Um... So, yeah, who knows what else was, was really considered. But um, it, to me, and we'll, and we'll obviously talk more about it, it made, it, it, to me, the call was, to me, it just, you f- they fell into the only solution being that Brett needed to win. And it probably made the screw job and the decision to do the screw job that much more difficult. Oh yeah, when, you know when they're sitting by the pool at Vince's house and they're fielding phone calls back and forth, and you know not getting any alternative solutions, and you know they're all getting shot down. The best solution was probably Brett winning, but the fact that he was leaving complicated that. Yep, you know what I mean. So they didn't probably want to put the belt which, on Trump. Which, they knew which that they had to. Here, here's the argu- here's the question I've had, and I might have posed this to you. I actually talked with Kobe from Retromania about this uh, back in September. We did a. We did a retrospective on 
September the 22nd, 1997, and how big of a night in wrestling that was. Mm-hmm. The night that Vince told Brett behind the scenes he couldn't honor the contract. The night Austin stunned McMahon. Did, you and garden. I did a watch-along. We did a watch-along of that. Yeah. And then Goldberg making his debut on Nitro. Yeah. Okay? Now, um, you can find that in the archives, marking out the days, uh, the September edition over at Retromania. Um, but I had posed this question to Kobe, and Kobe's response was very interesting. And I don't know if you would, you would, you would agree, but... I found it hard to believe, okay? I found it extremely hard to believe that Brett... Look at the referee. Look at that shit. Outside, Jack Doan, you mean, right? Outside referee is allowing Farouk, who's not a legal guy in the match anymore, to interfere. And he's watching it transpire. What's the point of having an outside referee if you're just going to allow shit like... It's Royal. I agree with you. It's Royal Rumble esque. It's when a guy who gets eliminated gets goes back in and eliminates someone else, and that guy's out. It's this, it's 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 applied differently. Yeah. It, to the it, it's the same application, but in this match. Yeah. But yeah, no. Go but ahead. anyways, let me go back to my point here. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think it's silly too. But yeah. yeah, I just had to make mention of that yeah, for yeah, those yeah, of for those of you that are that are watching along. And as a matter of fact, after this match, we're going to pause and take a, uh, a a mini bathroom break of sorts for those of you that are watching along with us. Uh, so you don't have to empty your diaper. You could just go and use the bathroom um, all on your own like a big boy or big girl. But um, I find it hard to believe that Vince goes to Brett, tells him he can't honor his contract, and allows him to negotiate with WCW and not have a place for him on his roster. Meaning like... Yeah, say that again? All right, so I find it hard to believe that Vince... I'm not saying that he didn't go to Brett and have this conversation. It's been it was documented on the Wrestling with Shadows uh, documentary. He goes to Brett, tells him he can't honor his deal. Yep. Then allows him to negotiate with WCW for his original deal he had a year prior, which sure. that's speculative at best too. Other parties have said that conversation never happened. Regardless of the fact, I find it really hard to believe with how loyal Brett has been, what he's done for that company at that time. And given the name value that he has, that Vince McMahon would allow him to go to the competition, allow him to negotiate with the competition without finding a place for him on the roster. Even if that meant like, all right, I got to restructure your deal. I really want to keep you. And this is where I see your 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 path, your trajectory in the next 18 oh, months to two okay. years. Before I respond to that, what did Kobe say? Kobe felt that Brett's ego prevented Vince from 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 trying as hard to keep him. That Brett wanted the money that he was promised and the position that he was in, and he didn't want any of that to change. Uh, and because and, and tie in the fact the issues that he had with Shawn Michaels as well. So he I just may, I, he may have read the book because Brett, to my recollection, in the book. Said conversation. Oh, he read the book. He's got the book. He talks about that book all the time. He's a Brett Mark. Yeah. He, I would have, then factually speaking, that is somewhat correct. I believe there was the conversation had about obviously taking a massive pay cut to stick around um, while the WWE scales back overall. And here's the, coming out of dropping the belt to Sean, here's who you would work with going forward. Here's the direction we want to go with because of how successful D-Generation X has been, X, Y, Z. And none of that was appealing to him, as far as I recall. 
and I'm sure it wouldn't be appealing to him. Making so, so, working, you know, working the, the the slate of baby faces and heels that were put in front of him, hypothetically, for far less money than he was making, just you know, in the in the New Deal. So, so my, yeah. all right. So let me try to understand this. So Vince goes from you're my top guy. I'm going to give you the belt, but now I can't afford you to. Well, I'm going to scale back your pay, and you're going to put all these guys over X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Like, how do you go from one extreme to the other? He did it with Ric Flair. And I think... Vince Ric, Flair also, was, Ric Flair also was not his creation. Yes. But I think Vince McMahon also was seeing the success of things that were so out of the box, like D-Generation X. And the gloves were starting to come off. And he was... Like, he didn't have a place for Brett, you think? Yes. He was fixing to go in a new direction with the company. It was starting to brew. Um... And I think he knew where he wanted to go. And Brett was somewhat left out in the cold in terms of what he was able to offer at that moment, probably, in terms of what he was looking to do. Okay. And I think Brett, he was looking at, at Brett to be, um, you know, probably a part-time, what we would call a part-timer, but not for big bucks, but a in-and-out type of gatekeeper of sorts. Uh, for the company where he would go against this list of guys that we're going to have you wrestle here is who you're going to work with um, and we're going to pay you so less much less money to do it and I'm and I as much as I understand without being able to recall word for word Brett didn't find any of that appealing he want and, and and I think to his point wanted to fight to make as much money as he could if he was going to stick around for that okay which Vince couldn't obviously do and that's what I think was what happened so there is some truth I think to the observation, if it was an observation, or if it's Kobe recalling it to, yeah, he was not interested in the role he was going to play for the little money he was going to make. I, I, I can't argue that. At the same time, I feel like knowing how loyal Brett was to the company, Vince would have made that, made, made that up to him, maybe on the back end, depending on the success of the company. Well. Like, like, like. Brett would have probably gotten a high-profile role at WrestleMania the following year, whether it's included in the title picture with Sean and Austin, or he's um, in a marquee matchup that's not champion. That's I, not. I tend to agree. I think the hesitancy with Brett was he was, uh, and again going back to the book a little bit, there were instances that were starting to pile up in this second run with, that Brett was having, where. Promises are being made that were being reneged on all, a lot on the way over. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was just another, another, you know, chip away at the at the at the the statue a little bit of like, yeah, this is you know, I, I, this doesn't sound. He he may say that this is what's going to be, but he's also not really laying out a great picture for me either. Okay. So, and I think he, Vince also willingly did it because, or not willingly, but begrudgingly did it because. To the old, the age-old remark that he made to Bret Hart was, "WCW wouldn't know what to do with Bret Hart." I think Vince McMahon. So he was that. confident that if Bret did leave, you know, he could always, you know, fizzle out and come back, maybe. Yeah. Or, you know, like I don't. Again, with the direction I'm going in, Bret is Bret is not nearly as valuable to me with this new shift we're going in. But he's valuable in the way that he is has been. He'll be valuable in a different way, and that's not appealing to Bret Hart. See, I pictured I. I even even following, you know, the screw job 
you know, a few years, you know, months to a few years after. I pictured Brett still having that value, working with guys like Hunter, working with guys like Rock. Yeah. Um, even, even going back to that heel persona as Vince McMahon's corporate champion, being the being the picture of what Vince wanted out of his champion, as opposed to what Austin had become as the champion. You know, yeah. like Brett being this clean cut representation of the World Wrestling Federation that Vince knew all along, you know, was that was the right way to go, um, compared to, you know, the the edgy, rebellious nature of yeah, Steve Austin's run outlaws. as champion. As we see the New Age Outlaws. With the shoulder pads. With the shoulder pads and Billy painted his face. Um to that point I think you could have seen a heel Bret Hart that was a lot like what we saw a with Kurt Angle when he first debuted. Yes. Like, yep. I'm the five-time WWF champion. Yeah. I'm the three, two-time Intercontinental champion. Yep. I'm the ta- I'm this decorated yeah. wrestler, this athlete. Like, yep. You know, and this is the filth that you're going with here. Yeah. This is the filth that you Take away are. the America-Canada can- aspect yeah. of it and kind of go like the tradition versus the new... Yeah, just like you, this is the filth that, you know, Steve Austin drinking beer in the ring, like... You know that's not that's not what a, a superstar is supposed to be like. That's not what yeah. a champion's supposed to do. Like you know, you know, we get you know, I I get my business done in the ring. You know, like yeah, there, he could have definitely embraced that character. Yeah, um, and I think he was in a lot of respects in the patriotic. He he had that way. in a patriotic sense, but if you take away that that geograph geographical aspect of it with USA and, and Canada, a moral twist to it. Yes, I yeah, think it, I it think would have been well there could have had some leg. There could have been some legs with Vince behind him as the like his not his manager, but him as a representation to Vince uh, yeah, or definitely. of Vince and Vince's vision of the World Wrestling Federation versus Stone Cold Steve yeah, Austin, or even if even if Vince wasn't involved at all, like that would have been Brett yeah. doing that, and I think it would have been. I think Brett there. could have had a good another year and a half, two year run. With the company in a significant role um, before they scale, before they really started to scale him back, that's just that. that I would agree with that. Yeah, I think I think once you got, I think there was life, a lot left on the table with Brett and the newer crop of guys that were coming in. Yeah, Kane, you know, even Man- Mankind, Mick Foley. I think know. once you got to, I would say, because again, at this point, Brett, I think is like forty when this match happens. Yeah. I think if you had gotten to about 2000, that would have probably been the, quote, decline of Bret Hart. Yeah. Yes, he would have been able to, he would have been introduced to Kurt Angle, the Hardys, Edge and Christian, Jericho, Benoit, Guerrero. He would have had all of that there, um, but he would have definitely been that gatekeeper. Yeah. That on the way out uh, guy. That makes sense. Um, But he would have had, I think, much more high profile stuff between say he stays after this match here or you know his match with Sean if he stays from there till about the end of 1999 that two year window would have been like all right we're going to get as much as we can out of him as a feature performer before that next generation of talent comes in where he would probably just do jobs to them. Well, not okay. jobs, but you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. They're, they're, it would have been a different... will help get them over on the way up the card, yeah. Yeah, it would have been a different Bret Hart yeah. at that point. Yeah. Uh, uh, again, he would have been 42 years old at that point, and that would have... While that doesn't matter now, then it did. Yeah. So it would have been different. He would have been a different guy, you know. So two years, I think, is a fair window where he could have been still the Bret that we know and love. Okay. 
All right, fair enough. We'll uh, we'll, we'll revisit more of the the, the Brett Sean Montreal stuff as we watch that match. We're 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 still continuing to watch this uh, Rock, and that's that's Rock and Shamrock left in the um the the Classic Survivor Series elimination match. Speaking of that, I'm gonna give you my Mount Rushmore of Classic Survivor Series elimination matches. Okay. Um. An honorable mention goes to Hogan and Andre's teams from 1987 because of the historical significance, as well as the Steamboat Savage, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Brutus Beefcake, Jake the Snake team against Honky, uh, King Harley Race, Danny Davis, Hercules, and Ron Bass. Both great matches. But um, here are the four that make my list. Mm -hmm. 2001, the Alliance and Team WWF, albeit not a great storyline, a great match and a great way to end that storyline. Yes, definitely. 2003, Team Austin, Team Bischoff. Um, I thought that the, the the closing sequence of Shawn Michaels being down 3-1 to one and being the guy that is relied on to help keep Steve Austin's job, I thought that story arc was tremendous. Yes. And every and the, the, the way that that match ended and Michaels feeling like he let down Austin and he was a bloody heap and he eliminated Jericho and Christian and he was like moments away from eliminating Orton and Evolution had come in and helped with the referee distraction. I just thought that whole match itself was... it. It was it was it was just great. I loved yeah. it. I remember being at a Hooters in West Palm Beach, and that whole Hooters that was watching that that show, they were all about that match. Yeah. And it felt that was one of the very few times where I'm watching wrestling on television where I felt like I was in the arena. Yeah. Because there was that many people that were invested into that match. Yep. It was so cool. Um, 2014, Team Cena versus the Authority. That was pretty good. John Cena, if his team didn't win. His teammates were going to be fired, and he would still have a job, which I thought was tremendous. I didn't, I, and and Dolph Ziggler being the guy that that won the match for yeah. them, and you had Big Show that turned about twelve times throughout the course of his career. That was one of those heel turns where yeah. he turned heel, turned on Team yeah, Cena. He couldn't miss a mortgage payment, so he had to align with the. And then party. Sting, his entry at the end, Hell confronting yeah. Hunter to help yep. Team Cena win. I thought that was just so well done. Yes. I, 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 that's that Survivor Series itself. The rest of that show fucking sucked. Yes. But that main event, that was a one match show. It. That was just. I would agree. And I thought that there was going to be so many things that were going to pivot off of that. Between you know they were really trying to build Ryback. At least I thought they were. I thought they were going to do something serious with Dolph again. Rollins was coming into his own. Harper was kind of making a name for mm-hmm. himself, you know, as a singles guy. The the Hunter Sting storyline. I was like, there was. I thought there were some really cool things that pivoted off yes. of that. And the Authority comes back in three weeks, yep. <laughs> per per a bullshit stipulation. As we see Ken Shamrock tapping out the Rock and being the sole survivor um, for this Survivor Series elimination match. And the last match that makes my classic Survivor Series elimination match Mount Rushmore. Team Raw, Team SmackDown 2016. Yeah. I thought that was one of the best matches that Survivor Series matches they ever put out. Makes my Mount Rushmore. The different variables you had, you know, the, you know, on Raw, you had Rollins, Reigns, Owens and, Jer- and Jericho as, as that pairing with Braun Strowman. Yep. Like you said, you mentioned that Team SmackDown earlier with Shane, Wyatt, Orton, Ambrose, and Styles. Um, 
Everybody was interlocked with everybody. There was sto- all different kinds of stories that were mm-hmm. merging. Those were the cream of the crop, the best of the best from each brand when they had just reintroduced the brand extension. The match itself, I thought, was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, one of the best matches in Survivor Series history Definitely. from a classic Survivor Series standpoint. 100% agree. Um, and before we, uh, b- before we pause this... Um, we're gonna pa- actually we're gonna pause it. Uh, yeah, we'll hold off on a minute. Um, I will. Uh, we'll pause it right here where it says record attendance. So we're pausing it at one fifty four fifty seven. So one hour fifty four minutes and fifty seven seconds. Go use the bathroom. Get something to eat. If you haven't already, send the link of this podcast to your friends on Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever. And we will be back in a short moment to continue this Survivor Series 1997 watch-along. All right, bathroom break's over. We're hydrated. We actually got some coffee ready to rock and roll as we paused at 1 hour, 54 minutes, and 57 seconds where it shows the record attendance for the Survivor Series in Montreal that night of 20,593. Got two more matches left on this watch-along coming up and uh, some more Survivor Series-esque talk, if you will. So if you are all ready to rock and roll, we are as well. When I say play, press play, and we will continue this watch-along with all of you. Uh, So without further ado, in 3, 2, 1... Press play. Record attendance, 20,593. While we're on the subject of Survivor Series, um, I'm going to give you my Mount Rushmore of... Did you give the Mount Rushmore of your classic Survivor Series elimination matches? I actually didn't put one together, I'm not going to lie, but I very much like the one that you put together. Okay, so so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you my Mount Rushmore of Survivor Series events. The overall Survivor Series events for this Mount Rushmore. Um, Starting off with 1990. Soft spot in my heart. Hartford, Connecticut. I liked the, the, the common thread throughout the show about Survivors going on to the grand finale match of Survival. I think a concept that would work out pretty well in today's I landscape, I think it would be something cool. But like you've said before, I think there would need to be stakes. Something that 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 is worth fighting for. If the grand finale match of survival winners get to choose their spots in the Royal Rumble. Or if they get a shot at the title at the Royal Rumble. Or something to that effect. Yeah, I, I think something with stakes yes. involving Survivor Series, I think would help reestablish that brand as an important brand within the WWE premium live events. The two ideas that I had in terms of helping to go that direction um, while we're on the topic, one of them, it would be not the Royal Rumble. Like, Oh, I know lots of people say like, Oh, the winner gets to be the number 30 entrant in the Royal Rumble. Like that, that doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Plus Mm -hmm. the appeal of the Royal Rumble is obviously the randomness of it and the surprises. So let's not pick, let's not, let's not use that quite. The one thing, the but I think one area where you could go is title shots, yep. you know, especially in with this in this Triple H era of of um, booking. It's it's a those will be more important, I think, going forward. Yeah, grow to more importance. Um, another idea I thought of, especially if you know there were to be Raw versus SmackDown matches, um, and I think I mentioned this one to you before off air once was. How, you know, again, it depends on the size of, of of the respective shows. But how about the winner of the of the of the the winning team gets to say uh, Adam Pierce is the GM of SmackDown? 
they have the rights, in air quotes, to the Royal Rumble. Yep. They get to pick yeah, I the entrance you talking to about the that. Royal Rumble. Where, I like that. You know, and then say Raw wrestlers have the opportunity over the ensuing weeks to wrestle themselves on to the Royal Rumble to qualify at the behest of Adam Pearce. Or maybe a bad guy gets to be brought from Raw, gets to be booked into the Royal Rumble because they're friends with Adam Pearce. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, just again, yeah. as an example. Um it could really create some interesting possibilities to who's in the Royal Rumble, who's not in the Royal Rumble, um, and really make you visit that as a fan as you're approaching the match. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? If you're approaching the match with like, oh my God, Team Raw just lost. That means Seth Rollins isn't going to be in the Royal Rumble. Or that means Matt Riddle's not going to be in the Royal Rumble. You know, all my, all of my fantasies of what he could be, those guys could be doing at WrestleMania just went out the window because they can't win the Royal Rumble now. Yeah. So what are they going to do with those guys? So it, I think creates an an internal um an internal avenue for us to really go as fans in terms of what could happen to these wrestlers if they're not in the Royal Rumble, if they're not presented with opportunities that you just assume that they're gonna get. Mm-hmm. And you put the authority figures into it and they get to pick and choose who gets to be in it. Or maybe they fan vote some people on. There's just I think so many avenues you could go in that direction yeah. to make it matter when they lose a survivor when when you win or lose a survivor series match. Yep. I like those ideas. I definitely like those ideas. Um, something I think that they can there, there there's there's ways they can get there. Yeah, uh, for you, sure. You, you talk about the networks, you know. USA Network is now has the rights to the Royal Rumble yep. or the Fox Network yeah. and you, you know that stuff and you can kind of really there's def- it's definitely amendable in that way. Yeah, there's 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 room. It's open to 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 being played with. For yeah. Sure. Um, the next Survivor Series event that makes my my Mount Rushmore of overall Survivor Series pay per view events is 1998, the yes. tournament to crown Absolutely. a new World Wrestling Federation champion. Some say this is probably the best work that Vince Russo had ever. Uh, performed as a writer, the head writer of the WWF at that time. You had a lot of moving parts in that tournament that. That, that played out and everything just came to a to a head between, you know, Austin's involvement and the McMahon family drama and The Rock eventually, you know, getting help to, to, to advance into the tournament and Mankind thinking that he's, you know, he has the, the help of the McMahon family, um, that whole story, the whole night itself, Undertaker and Kane had some issues in, in there too. Um, and then, of course, my favorite match from that show was Austin and Mankind when Shane slid in, flipped Austin with the double bird, and Mankind won to advance to the finals. I thought that was just some some really great yeah. stuff overall. One Definitely. of the best Survivor Series events of all time in 1998. Definitely would, makes my Mount Rushmore. I would agree. Um, I'll let you know. Let's play the let's play the audio for Austin here with the pop. Oh, that's right. I remember this. Didn't even break the glass. Couldn't even break the glass. Hola, folks. Notice the ring announcer? I was just French Canadian. I dig that. The whole time. Yeah, I dig that so The whole much. time. I feel like that's something that pay-per-views are missing. Like, distinguish things about it. You know what I yeah. mean? Not well, just uh, the sets that yeah. were so cool, especially in the Attitude Era. Like, yeah. you know, something specific to where you are, specific to the atmosphere, specific to the, the topical nature of our world and our culture. There's no reason to, like, embrace those. Let's embrace that stuff. You know what I mean? The more we go through stuff. And Triple H, I hope you're listening. 
I like how he's taken some of it and, and, and simplified it. Like for the Royal Rumbles where like it's been held in a baseball stadium. You just have like a small video wall and they have like the diagonal entryway. They yep. did it for SummerSlam in, in, in Nashville. It's just like a small video. wall. It's nothing like it almost reminds me of like the old entrances for the WWF days where you had the big block WWF logo hanging over yep. the curtain and that was it. Yep. Like that. It's just kind of the, the simplicity of it, I think, uh, Lends itself to, I don't know. I, I like it. I agree with you completely. I, I like think it. that distinguishes those events, especially when they're in larger stadiums. Like it's already grand because it's in a place with that much more people. So. WrestleMania, you can make an exception yes. and, and put some big production out of a, yeah. a video wall and you know whatever the case yeah. may be. Um, but let me continue here. Uh, my Mount Rushmore for overall Survivor Series events. I'm gonna go 2016. I'm going to go, it was it was a big, Goldberg and Brock Lesnar. You had Raw versus SmackDown with those that, that real elimination match. You They brought back the tag team yes. Survivor Series elimination match with the that. 10 teams. Yeah, I wish there was I, a tag team division to do that with. Yeah, I mean, you could probably scrape up something now, but it would be slim pickings. But back then in, in 2016, you know, unbelievable match. It was it closed out with the Usos and the bar, Cesaro and... Um, and Sheamus, which I thought was a hell of a, a closing uh, sequence of yeah. that match. You also had the ladies, the females had a, a Survivor Series match. I believe Miz and Sami Zayn were on opposite brands competing for the rights to the Intercontinental Championship, which was on one of the brands. It I don't on SmackDown. Miz was the Intercontinental Champion. Yeah, Miz was Sami the Intercontinental Zayn was on Raw, and he could take it. He could they, take it, move it to. Uh, they also had. Um... I think it was on the kickoff show. It was uh, Brian Kendrick as the cruiserweight champion on Raw, where the cruiserweight brand was, and Kalisto was I yes. believe on SmackDown, and like he wasn't going to take the cruiserweight title, if you will, but he would obviously move from SmackDown to Raw yeah. if he won. Yep. So that would create there was an out. There, see, there's something that to sink into. Yeah, they really worked hard at making the 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 brand extension have some meaning to it early on in 2016. Yeah, definitely. And now the fourth and final Survivor Series event. I'm I'm torn here. So you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you make that final pick. It's between two shows. The 2002 event from Madison Square Garden that was headlined by the very first Elimination Chamber. Also on that card, we saw Rico and Three Minute Warning take on Jeff Hardy and Bubba and Spike Dudley in the tables match. We saw Brock Lesnar and Big Show for the WWE Championship. Kidman and Jamie Noble in the Cruiserweight Championship match. Los Guerreros, Eddie, uh, uh, Edge and Rey Mysterio, and Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit in a triple threat match. The debut of Scott Steiner was also on that show as well. Um, that was 2002. In 2003, which has got a soft spot for me, you had the Buried Alive match with Vince McMahon and The Undertaker. Triple H and Goldberg, which there was a throwback to the old uh, Harley Race bounty hunter uh, angle on Ric Flair, the 83 Starcade. Um, Team Austin versus Team Bischoff. Um, Kane and Shane McMahon in an ambulance match. You had Team Angle versus Team Lesnar in a Survivor Series match. Stacked cards, both 2002, 2003. Which one do you think is the better one? And that will be included on my Mount Rushmore to round it out. I would say probably 2002. Okay. I, I, I had a feeling. I think you've got the historical element of the Elimination Chamber. Shawn Michaels winning the world title. Um, it's in Madison Square Garden. It's in Madison Square Garden. I think those are the big ones. So I would say probably just on that alone. Okay. That that, that has the cachet, I think, to be on that um, on that Mount Rushmore. Definitely. 
Here we see Austin delivering a stunner to Anvil to get things kicked off here on this match with Owen Hart. This is going to be a short one. It's only going to go four minutes. Um, question for you. Yeah. Sure. Had Austin not gotten, had Austin not suffered his injury, um, do you think he still would have shot up his, I feel like the injury helped him become a bigger star. Yes. Do you think it would have taken him longer to become a bigger star? Or do you yes. think he still would have been on the same pace? No, he would definitely not be on the same pace. Okay. Um, the, so the injury, in a sense, helped him. The injury helped him because it it created a um, a gap where the audience wanted Austin, wanted you know had a absence made from, the heart grow fonder. Yeah, I don't know if I would use that phrase, but it more so is like, please don't take Austin away from us. Yep. And you've got the fighting Austin, who obviously is you know I'm not I'm. I'm not going anywhere. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I'm not hurt. You know, mm-hmm. or you know, I'm gonna fight through it. You know what I mean? All yep. all very endearing qualities. Um <laughs> I think that those reactions were organic in nature mm-hmm. um from the audience to not want Austin gone um and have him sidelined. Uh so yeah, I think they listened and they went with it very quickly mm-hmm. once it happened. So I think, yeah, definitely it, it, um I don't think he would have definitely... I I don't know... I don't want to say he wouldn't have risen to any levels that he got to, but it certainly would have been a different trajectory, without a doubt. Okay. All right. Interesting. Um, Yeah, this match only goes about like four minutes and some change. Obviously, Austin's um, health... um, But it forced him to change... His style of wrestling, yeah. And But his style of wrestling... Fit the character. Fit the character. Oh, yeah. Because he was an excellent wrestler before that. Oh, yeah. It didn't really fit the character. He was starting to morph some of that brawling style into it, but he would go back to the technical wrestling style. Yeah, it it worked. Oh, yeah, it worked so much better. Yeah. It it definitely worked so much better. And guess what? When he went heel, obviously he was in worse health even than when he was on his, you know, at the top of his game as the the biggest thing on the planet. Yeah. So when he was a heel, he's still wrestling in a way that is still endearing and that it's that he's a brawler, you know what I mean? Yeah. Versus like more, you know, his earlier, st- you know, st- you know, Stone Cold days of being a heel, where he was more calculated. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where he was more of a technician, you know, with the million dollar dream as his as his finisher. So he he that's a more bad guy way to wrestle, where you're more matter of fact in wrestling versus that, you know, the the style that he embraced because of his injury. Here's another question. Actually, two questions. Given the state of where the company was at that time in 97, Brett's the kind he's kind of on his way out the door as we'll allude to, you know, in the next match. Um, Austin's on the rise and it's of that era where if you're gone, your spot's taken. Someone else has your spot. Would it have been a smarter move longevity-wise? For Austin to have neck surgery and to be out for an extended period of time, thus giving him a much longer career, or do you think it was the smart play short term, sit out for a few months, change your style of wrestling, come back and be the hottest thing in the business? I would say the latter. Yeah, definitely. He, um, he wouldn't have. He wouldn't have main evented WrestleMania, and the Austin era has begun. Wouldn't have happened. Do you think they would have? Do you have, think Vince would have tried harder to keep Brett? 
Do you think maybe Vince's decision... All right, let me rephrase oh, that. Yeah, yeah. Do you think maybe Vince's decision to... Oh, Stunner, is that it? I think it is. You said four minutes, right? Yep. Yeah, that's it. Do you think Vince's decision to allow Brett to negotiate with WCW and let him out of that gigantic 20-year contract... Oh, another Stunner to Philip LaFon. He's just going to be dropping dudes left and right. Doug Furness eats one, two. Anvil ate one earlier. Davy Boy, I wasn't even fucking there. <laughs> um, it's not my fucking toll. Owen did it. Um, he fucked him. He fucked him. He fucked him hard. Um, do you think Austin's condition played a factor into Vince's decision to 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 let Brett out of the contract and to be willing to negotiate with WCW? I because maybe Vince, in my mind, this is just me thinking here. I'm spitballing. Maybe Vince, in my mind, felt that I got a hot thing with Austin. It's only going to get better. If we sit him out for a little while, doesn't get physical, he can recover from this, and he could be my next big thing. I think that's what he was thinking. I think, okay. Like I, was taught, like, I think that's, that's the, the, the bullet points of the premise that I had mentioned earlier of, I'm taking this in a different direction. Mm-hmm. And in this direction, Brett, this is the role I want you to play. And these are the types of people I want you to work with. And he rattles off the list of people he's going to have Brett work with. And the role that Brett's going to play at a huge discount that Brett doesn't obviously want to take. So part of that vision of the company is Austin. Probably the vision. And I don't think... um, I think that's probably part of why he, he says... Like, he sees Austin grow to this to the and begin to grow and decides okay now this is where i want to go mm-hmm. and damn it brett you, you cost a lot of money for where you would fit in this new role yeah you know what i mean so okay. yeah so i do think it has something to do with it for sure okay all right um as we approach the main event Shawn michaels bret hart the montreal screw job um i'm going to i went and did a little research and I'm going to revert to, um, to to Dave Meltzer and his Wrestling Observer um, regarding some of the important dates that led up to this. Sure. And this is all through Meltzer's, Meltzer's lens. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm just reading this verbatim here. October 20th, 1996. Brett makes the decision to re-sign with the WWF mostly out of loyalty and a desire to cement his legacy in one place despite Eric Bischoff making him a huge offer to jump ship. Brett signs a ridiculous 20-year contract with the WWF, which also gives him the option of putting in 30 days' notice if he wants to leave at any time and gives him reasonable creative control during those 30 days so he wouldn't be buried on the way out. And he said, and this is, that report is from October 20th. No, this is the date that, these are the important dates that Meltzer is is outlining here. Okay. March 10th, 1996, Vince McMahon asked Brett to turn heel, which he doesn't want to do at first. 1997, excuse me. You know what? Let me pause that. Let's play. Oh, no, they already played the audio for this. This was in the the beginning, yeah. This was from the beginning. Okay, so so they're re-editing the video package there, or redoing the video package from the beginning. Okay, I'll continue. March 10th, 1997, Vince McMahon asked Brett to turn heel, which doesn't want to do it first until Vince convinces him. Brett agrees and does the double turn with Austin. Then Brett himself came up with the anti-American angle, which he'd be a heel in the U.S. and babyface in the rest of the world. Can I pause right there? Go for it. So in the book, that's part of the convincing in the conversation is, and Brett has said this in other interviews too, is Vince McMahon lays out a list of opponents. If you're heel heel number one, 
This is who you're working with. This is this is the slate you can work with. Sean, Austin, Undertaker. Undertaker. If you're babyface number two, Vader, Mankind. I don't know who else, right? Which list looks better? <laughs> and that's where the, that's, the latter. That was the no, logic. The, the former. No, the former. Yeah. That's where the that's that was a conversation that was had. That's in the book. Okay, interesting. I, I appreciate the context. Um, September eighth, nineteen ninety seven. McMahon and Brett have a meeting about his contract. Three months earlier, Vince had told Brett that the company was in bad financial shape and he may have to defer some of the money from Brett's contract to later in the deal. This time, Vince wasn't suggesting. He told Brett they would have to cut his salary, 30 grand a week, into more than half and then make up for it later down the road. Brett refused to accept that because what if the financial situation didn't get better? He'd never get the money. Yep. I mean, think about that. Yep. Cut his salary in half. Thirty grand to fifteen grand a week. I mean, I'd love to make fifteen grand a week. Same. I get it. I get it, it, Brett. I get it. I get it. I mean, I get it. Maybe he's got a budget. He He had like eight kids at the time. Well, having said that, too, like you know, he's an old school wrestler, so there is probably, despite being the son of a promoter, there is distrust. Yeah. It's 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 the employer employee. Yeah. Labor labor relationship. He's no dummy. Yeah, he's got to look out for himself. Yeah, he's no dummy. You're not gonna just budge for this just a budge. Yeah. You're not gonna be accommodating, hundred percent. But yeah, go on. September 20th, 1997, an hour before the UK pay-per-view, one night only, Vince tells Davey Boy that he's losing the title to Shawn Michaels. Smith is shocked because he'd been told all along that he was winning and, of course, had dedicated the match to his dying sister. The same night, McMahon also asked Brett to work a match with Shawn at Survivor Series, but Brett refuses because he said Shawn... we got to stop this. So they obviously do the really cool, like, walk-ups, right? Yep. DX... Comes out of the locker room. If uh, uh, we're not going to rewind because it's a yeah. long, but in the background walks Davy Boy. I saw it. Yep, and he goes into the room where Shawn Michaels just came out. Of. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that was funny. Yeah, little uh, little continuity gag. Yeah, little. Uh, yeah, no, I get it. Um, and then Vin- we'll see Davy Boy in a second with Brett. Vin- Vince must have been at the monitor. We're like, what the fuck is he doing? Yeah, <laughs> we're live, pal. Um, <laughs> God damn it, Davy Boy. God damn it, Davy Boy. Um, let me see here. Yeah, sorry. Um, so the same night, McMahon also asked Brett to work a match with Shawn Michaels at Survivor Series, but Brett refuses because he said Shawn had never apologized for the Sunny Days comment, and he th- didn't think he could trust him in the ring, and he assumed Shawn didn't trust him either. But Vince pushed it, and they both eventually agreed to work together. September the 22nd, 1997, McMahon tells Brett flat out they are going to intentionally breach his contract because the company can't afford it. He tells Brett he should contact WCW and make whatever deal he could with them. He gave Brett written permission to negotiate with them. The same day, Vince, Brett, and Sean had a meeting to plan their Survivor Series match where Sean told them point blank he wouldn't be doing jobs for anyone, which, as you can imagine, endeared Sean to the entire locker room when word got out. Vince then came up with a plan for Survivor Series. Hold on, real quick. So the part of the... so. That part I have heard. Now the part that Brett has said in recent years too; these might have been mixed up in you know recollections. Is that, and I think he said Nightheart was with him or Bulldog or both. But there was a conversation that didn't include Vince, where Brett goes, "Hey, I heard we're working together at Survivor Series, and I would have no problem putting you over." And apparently, Shawn Michaels responded with, "That's great, but I wouldn't do the same for you." And that's that was that. Yep. That was that. In terms of like where the ultimatum would then come down from Brett. But go ahead. I'm sorry. 
Vince would then come up with a plan for Survivor Series where Brett would face Sean, and Undertaker would interfere, causing a no contest. At the next pay-per-view on December 7th, Brett would face Undertaker, and Sean would interfere and cost Brett the title. During the meeting, Brett twice told Sean that he would be happy to put him over at the end of the storyline, and twice, Sean flat out told Brett he wouldn't do the same. October the 21st, 1997, Vince approached Brett about losing the title to Sean at Survivor Series, but Brett said he didn't want to lose the title in Canada since he had become such a big hero there. So Vince asked him to lose the title to Sean at the December 7th pay-per-view, but Brett refused again because he didn't want to do a job for someone who wouldn't do one back. Yep. Later that day, Brett, Sean, McMahon, and Pat Patterson had a meeting where Sean apologized for saying he wouldn't do a job and said he would be glad to. Brett still refused to lose the title in Montreal. Also, the night before, Hart had been asked to put over Triple H by pinfall, but Brett refused and got it changed to a count-out finish. And I think this goes this this timeline helps... I think support the theory that it wasn't a Canada thing. Once Sean said, I'm not jobbing to you, Brett said, well, great. I've got that creative control I yep. have now. I'm going to fucking use it. Even yeah. though I wouldn't normally do that. And so I'll that, just, that and, was very out of character and Brett, for Brett. Sa- and Brett saves face and uses the Canada explanation. Uh, I think I think it had something to do with it, but I don't think it was ironclad. As, no, I think I'm just WWF perpetuated following his exit. Yeah. So I think I think there was a certain idea that that they made it sound like oh like he just didn't want to lose in Canada, and I was like, well, that's not entirely part of the circumstance. But here's another story that here's another date, October the twenty fourth, nineteen ninety seven. McMahon had another meeting with Hart and told them the money situation had improved and he wanted to continue to honor Brett's contract. Hart told him that WCW hadn't really made a serious offer yet, and he wanted to stay in the WWF, but he was still uncomfortable putting over Sean. October 31st, 1997, Eric Bischoff makes Bret Hart a huge offer, said to be in the $3 million per year range. Hart wanted to consider the offer. November the 1st, Hart tells McMahon about the WCW offer and said he wasn't asking WWF for more money to match it, but he wanted to know what his future was in in the Mm -hmm. WWF because he was considering taking WCW's deal. McMahon told him he'd think about it and call him back. A few hours later, he called back and said he didn't know what Brett's future in the WWF was, but asked him to trust his judgment. (laughs) But he also once again asked Hart to drop the title to Sean in Montreal. Bischoff called back later that night and raised his offer, which Brett later said he would have been insane not to take. He felt bad about leaving the WWF and wanted Vince to lay out some scenarios for his future to convince him to stay, but Vince wouldn't commit to anything. That night, Vince called Brett back again and urged him to go ahead and accept WCW's offer. Reluctantly, Brett gave written notice to the WWF that night and signed his new WCW contract. He also got everyone involved on both sides to sign confidentiality agreements to keep word from leaking out before Survivor Series. But obviously, that didn't happen. In the ultimate irony, Brett and Vince discussed the plans for Survivor Series. This is November the 2nd, 1997. Vince suggested an angle where Brett would get screwed out of the title. And then the next night on Raw, Brett would blame Vince and punch him. Vince even (laughs) suggested Brett could hard way punch him and try to give him a black eye or bust him open. The irony, of course, being that this is exactly what ended up happening in the locker room after the match. Anyway, Brett refused again. He said he never refused to do a job before, but he was putting his foot down and refused to lose the title in Montreal or the next night on Raw in Ottawa. He agreed to put Sean over anywhere else and also said he was willing to drop the title to Vader, Shamrock, Mankind, Undertaker, and even the Brooklyn Brawler. (laughs) At that point, Vince threatened Brett with legal action if he wouldn't lose in Montreal. Brett pointed out the 30 days of reasonable creative control, but Vince said refusing to drop the belt wasn't reasonable. After arguing back and forth, they finally agreed on a DQ finish in Montreal, and then Brett would drop the title to Sean in a four-way match the next week on Raw. 
Then Brett would come out on the December 8th Raw and cut a babyface promo and put over WWF and apologize to the American wrestling fans and leave the WWF on a high note. But Brett's WCW contract was set to begin on December the 1st. So Brett contacted Eric Bischoff and told him the plan, and Bischoff agreed to allow Brett to work with WWF until the 8th. Dave then says Brett contacted someone who keeps on top of wrestling news and asked if he thought it was possible to keep the news from leaking before Survivor Series and was specifically wanting to keep it secret from one person. Dave doesn't say who, but it's clearly Dave Meltzer. The guy told Brett that he was sure that person, Dave, probably already knew about it, which he did. Sure enough, November the 4th, 1997, the story leaks through the Observer and Pro Wrestling Torch newsletters. In response, WWF put out a statement saying that Brett was simply exploring his options, although at this point he had already signed a WCW contract. Hart wouldn't comment on it all. November the 5th, Brett tell, McMahon tells Brett that he has to drop the title at Survivor Series now because he doesn't want Eric Bischoff to go on Nitro the next night and publicly announce that he has signed the current WWF champion. Brett told Vince he would get Bischoff to postpone the announcement, but Bischoff was on a hunting trip and Brett couldn't get a hold of him. Vince asked Brett to drop the title at a house show in Detroit before Survivor Series, but Brett refused again. He said he would drop the title anytime after November the 12th at any house show or TV taping, but not in Canada and not before walking into Montreal as champion. And November the 7th, 1997. Thanks to the internet, the news spread like wildfire and rumors of why Brett was leaving went wild. Later that night, Brett Hart appeared on TSN's Off the Record, danced around the issue, and talked about his problems with the WWF product and with Shawn Michaels. So, oh, wait a minute. November the 8th, 1997. At a house show in Detroit, tensions were running high. People were discussing the possibility of a double cross, but no one really thought it was likely. Double crossing guys to get the belts off of them is sort of stuff that happened back in the carny days of the 1920s, not in the 90s. Regardless, Brett went to the one person he felt he could trust, Earl Hebner, and wanted Hebner to referee the match of Survivor Series because he knew he could trust him. Hebner told Hart he sworn his kids' lives that he'd quit his job before double-crossing Brett. Hebner and Hart have genuinely been close friends for years. The same night, Vince McMahon, Shawn Michaels, Jim Ross, Jim Cornette, and Pat Patterson held a meeting in a hotel room, and many people said several of those people looked uncomfortable after the meeting. Dave doesn't mention it, but I believe Triple H was in that meeting also. That and then the, us to here? Yes, and that brings us to here. And then um, the day of the show, Vince and Brett had another meeting to discuss the match. They agreed on a DQ finish. Brett and Sean were cordial to each other backstage and were discussing how to have the best match possible. Pat Patterson came in, suggested the ref bump, followed by Sean putting Brett in his own sharpshooter. Brett would reverse the move. Sean would tap, but the referee wouldn't see it. Then the Hart family members would run in, and that would be the DQ finish. Vader and Davey Boy Smith both warned Brett to be careful not to allow himself to be put in a compromising position or to be in any submissions in case there was a double cross. But Brett dismissed the warnings because he trusted Hebner. Mm. So, I was just thinking about this with all the... How... this is, Obviously, Bret Hart would, not, would have not done this. How cool would it have been or how earth-shattering would it have been if Bret Hart just got in the ring and... Pulled a Jeff Jarrett and just laid down for Shawn Michaels and got up and walked away. That would definitely get people talking. He just pulls the old Vince Russo, I guess you can say, because he tried that a bunch in WCW. But uh, I think that would have been a, while we're sitting here reimagining and revisiting, that could have been a very interesting scenario. Um, there's, no, I don't think, a, a clean way out of that um, to get Brett gone or whatever. But well, I, I there was no like, good way to get out of it. I'd like for you to reimagine this, okay? If it hasn't... 
if it hasn't done so already, Colby and I will be recording tomorrow, actually, for marking out the days for the month of November. We're going to do, um, we're going to bring the what if scenario back. And we're going to discuss if the Montreal screw job, what if the Montreal screw job was an actual storyline and Brett never left to go to WCW. And I sat and spent hours booking from Survivor Series 97 to WrestleMania 14 with all the major players involved. Sean, Brett, Austin, DX, uh, the Hart Foundation, Vince, the list goes on and on. If this was an actual storyline and this played itself out and Brett never left to go to WCW, Kobe and I will give each other will, will give each other our respective booking scenarios. But while we're watching this, can you come up with something loosely in terms of a storyline, how you would... If what we this. saw played out the way it does play out, but it's actually all of work. Yes, correct. It's not like a work like they're working the boys. Like it's an actual work. Like it's, it's a, a storyline story. presented on television. Um, I would say that it loosely probably leads to. I think at the 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 the, the pot of gold at the end. It's probably Sean, Brett, and Austin at WrestleMania. Because you're not stopping Austin's ascension. And I think you intertwine that into what is happening coming out of this. Okay. Um, And I think you probably get, um, you know, you definitely get another title match somewhere. Maybe you get it the following month at D-Generation X. Um, In your house, D-Generation X, maybe it's Sean and Brett and there's some sort of screwy finish there. Or Mm -hmm. like a non-finish or... Whatever. Since it's DX's pay-per-view, you know, maybe they pull something over, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then at the Royal Rumble, you probably get another title match um, involved as well. Um, again, just kind of trying to piece it together. Um, and then maybe at No Way Out of Texas, you get some sort of DX versus the Heart Foundation tag match. Similar to what we got on that pay-per-view, but obviously involving Brett and Owen and Austin and Sean mm-hmm. and Triple H and the Outlaws and all that. And maybe get something a little more grandiose, but that doesn't include Savio Vega. You know <laughs> what I mean? Um, love you, Savio, but um, I think... So you probably get one or two matches between Brett and Sean, between Survivor Series and WrestleMania, um, where Sean probably stays the champion. Over, okay. But at the end of it all, Austin wins the title. Okay. Maybe you get um, Austin beats Michaels, you know, or Michaels eats the pinfall at WrestleMania uh, to Austin. Austin's the champion. And then you go with Brett and Austin for uh, the springtime heading into the summer uh, with Austin as the champ, solidified babyface. Brett kind of turns back maybe to that heel that we were talking about where he's. I'm who the WWF should be supporting as the champion. Your filth, your attitude, your what have you is, you know, not what professional wrestling represents. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, you know, I come from a a family rich in tradition and you're, you know, you're rich in middle fingers and all that. You know what I mean? You go through that. And that's past WrestleMania. So I think that's probably the way to go. Just to summarize real quick. Again, Brett gets screwed here. It's a storyline. And then you get one or two more singles matches between Brett and Sean, one of them likely being at the Royal Rumble, um, culminating with the insertion of Austin, who's won the Royal Rumble, and 
we get a triple threat at WrestleMania 14 with Brett, Sean, and Steve Austin. When it, when it drops, I'm going to send you the link. Hell, hell um, yeah. Because I, I believe, like I said, we're going to be recording that tomorrow at the time of this recording. Um, I think you're going to be interested in, in the, 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 the layout and what I presented. I'm interested to hear what Kobe has to say yeah, too, because right. Kobe has, Kobe's got his own, um, own philosophies, uh, regarding that. So sure. be on the lookout for that. What if the Montreal screw job was a work, um, on marking out the days, the rebrand season for the month of November, uh, as we right. watch this, I like what I like about this match, aside from the, the, the screw job aspect of it, because this rivalry was so personal behind the scenes, they kind of brought that to the forefront yeah. on screen. They embraced it. And they embraced it. And you have all these referees. You have these officials. Vince is out there. He's not. He wasn't on commentary for yep. this show. Every, like It makes this match... I, I, I don't know. I just like the match. As, I, uh, pe- people don't talk about the match enough because it because of what took place You know, with the finish. They, they put that tension out there for, for us to really... You know, as the... You know, Close, great personal friend of ours, Mean Gene Oakland, would say you could cut with a with knife. knife yeah. <laughs> Again, Vince McMahon, kind of more out of character and in his real element. And then everything else that kind of transpires to make mm-hmm. what it is the backstage interview with Cole about the security and just the unrest. And then you're kind of... I think even JR mentions the locker room fight in Hartford. He said, this, is, this resembles the locker room fight in Hartford. And, and, you know, and, you and, know? And he even mentions, too, in the lead up to this match, that Sean and Brett... Is a good chance we will never ever see this match ever again. Yes, I remember and that. I remember seeing that either before or after, going, "Yeah, we never will see like because we all knew what was going on, you know, or we knew a lot of what was going on." So yeah, they definitely did a really good job, and just the brawling tactic where the match didn't even technically start for a few minutes because they just were at each other's throats. I'm yeah, like, I like matches like that too when it when it when it warrants it. You know what I mean? Where like they fought for. 10, 15 minutes had to pull each other apart and then get them in the ring. Yeah. You know, it really creates a, a chaotic element that I think really reinvigorates the audience probably after a long night of wrestling too in a main event like that that makes all the sense in the world. I'll say this. Going back and watching, you know, the Raws that led up to this 25 years later and then watching this with you right now, 25 years ago, I was not a fan necessarily of the buildup of, of this match from the standpoint of there wasn't a clear-cut heel and a baby face. It, Brett was technically still a heel, even though he was getting a mixed reaction and Sean was killing it as as the top heel. Yeah, yeah. There wasn't a real heel, baby face, clear-cut um, consensus. To me, the, and, bias and, in me te- and, the, the bias in me disagrees because I'm such a Bret Hart fan. I think it's very clear, but I, 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 I completely understand where you're coming from because of where these guys have got come from. Yeah. And so, but looking back on it now, because this rivalry was so personal, 25 years later, it didn't matter that Brett wasn't defined as a heel or as a baby face. Right. You know, it, he was Bret Hart and he had a personal issue with Shawn Michaels. And granted, I think it sucked that their buildup virtually started a month before this, you know, when for months prior... Once Brett won the title and Sean screwed Undertaker, I feel like Sean scooped Brett's heat. Sean was the top draw on the show, and Brett was taking a back seat as the champion. Um, yeah, I did the stuff with the Patriot. Yeah, and, you know, you know the flag match too when he was tagging with Davy Boy, um, and I felt like they should have went with the hot hand with Brett and Sean 
even even after SummerSlam. And then the other thing, too, that I mentioned to Dennis, because we did a watch-along of this. Dennis and I watched the episode of Raw where the, where the Rock joined the nation. And there was a promo that was cut by Sean in the ring where they were talking about um, his involvement you know, in the, in the SummerSlam finish. And I hated the excuse, and I still don't really like it today. I hated the excuse as to why Shawn Michaels screwed The Undertaker. Because Shawn Michaels never intended to screw The Undertaker. Yes, correct. He wanted to screw Bret Hart because Bret Hart goaded him into swinging that chair after he got spit in the face. Yep. So then Vince and and they come up with this bullshit storyline excuse of, well, why did you do it, Shawn? Why did you screw The Undertaker? Did he really have any intention to? He also had to make the count. Otherwise, he was going to lose his job. No, he wasn't going to be able to wrestle, wrestle in the United States. States. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. the same thing. But to me, I just felt like that was a lame duck excuse to turn Sean heel. Because um, then I all of a sudden, Sean embraced this attitude like, well, it was you people that made me do it. Well, I think, too, that there was... <clears throat> the way I think they, they were able to skirt... The way they were able to make sense of it, I think, was that... Obviously, The Undertaker fucking pissed off that Shawn Michaels cost him the title. Yeah. Uh, he's gunning for Shawn. So what's Shawn got to do? He's got he's to knuckle up and, and square up against this guy. Yeah. And what better way to do it than the only ways he knows how to? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's probably the way you got you to square that up in terms of um, why it continued to evolve into him being a heel was that, like, the big man's coming after me. I got to... Yeah. I got I to... And then he assembles, the, he assembles the troops with Hunter yes. and China and Rick Rude. Yeah. But I just thought, like, the way that they got there, like, like there was not one point where... I do remember Sean saying, like, well, you people made me do it. And, you know, you you did this and you did that. And, you know, you all this is getting put in my lap and blah, blah, blah. And it's funny, too, because, like, his character totally contradicts himself because it was a few weeks prior that Sean had petitioned to be a part of SummerSlam in some form or fashion, yeah. and Vince decided to make him the referee for the title match. Yep. So it was, and even on commentary, you could hear like Jim Ross saying, "Well, like you did, you were the one that wanted to be a part of the match. You were the one that w- was was the referee. Like yeah. you, you did this, you know." So I just, I just felt there was this. It was kind of like a lame duck kind of way to to turn him heel, like he. He he was all of a sudden he all of a sudden gained an attitude yeah. after he screwed Undertaker and granted he didn't mean to screw Undertaker you know whereas at least from a fan's perspective twenty five years ago I would have much more rather seen him say you know what I didn't mean to screw Undertaker but now I got to face the music and then maybe you slowly yeah. you slowly start to turn him a heel like where he's got no choice but to like you said assemble the troops so yeah. to speak with his little click to his go, little group and to go ahead with it too. Um, Prior to that SummerSlam match, I remember Jerry Lawler kind of surmising Shawn Michaels' involvement and what could or could oh, yeah. happen. And he said something to the effect of, like, Shawn Michaels has an ego that deserves its own zip code. And Shawn Michaels will find a way in this match to be somehow the to be the center of attention. Yep. He, that was and, a great lead-up. And, and, great lead-up. And swinging the chair on Brett was what everyone was expecting. Something happening with him and Brett was was what was expected. So, that, so of course, he was going to take action against Brett. And then at the last millisecond... Brett that ducks. Doesn't, that doesn't happen. Shot, shot, so shot, the Undertaker, is Taker the eats the chair. So all the while, 
that makes Sean the center of the of attention. Jerry Lawler, man, I, then I, I'm glad you brought that up because in that same in that same sentence, Lawler said Sean gets Sean, when Sean goes to a funeral, he gets so yes. upset that he's not the corpse. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Exactly. In some way, Shawn Michaels will find a way to be the center of attention in this match. Yeah, yeah. And there was a great lead up, great lead up, and I and I didn't realize it then, but then when you look back at it now, and it's like, yeah. He definitely tried to find a way to, to to stand out in the match. And guess what? He did. He was the deciding factor that that caused his bitter rival, Bret Hart, to be the WWF champion. And he he's got to save face. You know <clears throat> what I mean? He's got to save face for the fuck up of not costing Bret the match. Yeah. So he's kind of got to, he has to kind of go down the rabbit hole of, of taking out The Undertaker, mm-hmm. defending himself against The Undertaker, because he's not, you know, he's, he's, he's a heel who's got to, prove himself yep. you know and he's a chicken shit heel at that too so like it the personality made it make sense yes I think, to me in a lot of respects but oh yeah to suggest that he had a plan to do it all along obviously when that wasn't clearly the case um is um is not tr- is is just you know is is false mm-hmm. and to perpetuate that was silly but i think how they ended up getting it to where it needed to be i think it ultimately worked out now do you think as we continue this, looks like Brett's going to be working on the leg. Do you think there was an? Do you think there was an alternative that could have made all parties happy for a finish? Do you think there was something that like that had to end this night at Survivor Series? Yes. Give me a couple seconds here. Yeah. Um. Textbook Brett working on the leg on Sean after he just wrapped him around figure four around the ring post. We are currently at two hours, 38 minutes, and 33 seconds and counting. Ooh, here's a good one. <clears throat> you screw Sean Michaels. Vince screws Sean. The roles are reversed. Sean Michaels gets screwed. Whether it's a storyline, whether it's a shoot, and they really screw Sean and not Brett, a double cross on Sean Michaels. You're in. You're in Canada. We actually did. Actually, the home turf. The home turf is Brett's. Yeah. He's got the home court advantage. So Brett greases the promoter to get the some, win and keep the some, title. Yeah. Interesting. Actually, and, I did. And I, that would be a great. That would be a great redirection because, like we were talking about, while there are shades of gray, Sean is out healing Brett. People are thinking, like myself, that Brett's a face now, but Brett definitively says, "Nope, I'm still a bad dude." Yeah. I'll do I, anything I'll, to keep this title. Yes. And I will that would have been Go in I the archives and listen to What If Vince Screwed Sean. That's that, I think that would have been Trading Places. What if Vince Screwed Sean? I, I recorded that a few okay. years back. Yeah, and it would have been a really good way again, DX has rebelled against the establishment. Vince McMahon, right? Yep. Um they become more endearing, they become more sophomoric, they become more popular. Bret Hart is the antithesis of that. Um, in my scenario, I turn that into a shoot, and Sean goes to WCW, and he's the antithesis for the split of the NWO. That would be cool. That would have been really cool, in fact, because he's the antithesis he, 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 for 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 the the finish at Starcade with Hogan and yeah. Sting, and that's how they set up NWO Wolfpack, NWO Hollywood. You now, in the scenario that go check that out for those scenario, what if, trading places. What if Vince screwed Sean in the archives over at WrestleMania with a W? I think you could have done. You could have done. Whether it's a work or a shoot, I mean, a shoot probably isn't likely because Sean would have just quit. 
Yeah. Um, 1997, Shawn Michaels would have said, I'm out of here. Yeah. Unsafe. He tried to. Yeah. He tried to. He would have quit. He would have found, he would have, he would have, he would have CM punked his way into the And Vince locked him in for, Vince locked him in for like five or six years at like 750 grand a pop. Yeah. So Shawn would have been, um, there, there would have been a very damaged relationship there, but a, a scenario where Brett screws Shawn, Brett slash Vince, Vince on his own, screws Shawn Michaels. I think would have been really cool. I think I Vince think. would have been more forgiving if Sean quit and then came back. Like if Sean went oh, to WCW yeah. and then they they didn't know what to do with him, like they like they didn't but know again, what to do with Brett, and then well, well, Sean that, comes back because Vince and Sean used to have that that kind of relationship where Sean would tell him like it is or tell him how he thought it was. Well, given his actual contract, I don't <clears> think that <throat> would have been a possible. That wouldn't have been possible. He would have yeah. just been on the sidelines because he was already locked in. He, yeah, his, his contract wasn't expired. His contract wasn't being broken. You know, so does that mean Shawn Michaels would have ever shown up for work again? No. We got the finish here. This is the big ref bump. Uh, it's it's on the way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that it wouldn't have resulted in Shawn Michaels going to WCW. It would have maybe resulted in Shawn Michaels just maybe no longer coming to work anymore. Yeah. Or for a very long time, which um, Shawn Michaels losing his smile again. Yeah, and maybe for an extended <laughs> period of time, maybe in a very irreparable way, where yep. the, the damage would have been really done in real if it was a shoot. Now, if it was a work, it would have created a babyface D-Generation X against the Babyface Heart Foundation where they finally could go together and probably get another couple matches between these two guys. Babyface Hearts and Babyface DX? Here's the no, finish. No, no. They'd be Babyface Heels. Let's play the audio. Yeah. On the grassy knoll. Yeah, this reached JFK level assassination right here. Ooh. chills watching that yeah because like that is there's been so much said about it it's been talked to about for for the last 25 years it's 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 argued as like the moment that changed wrestling forever um it really i guess to me you know what that moment did that in a way brought credibility if there if you if you can even argue that that in a way brought credibility to the 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 newsletter dirt sheet industry. Interesting. Because everything was so open. You had read stuff before about, you know, this storyline taking place, this guy leaving, this guy returning, et cetera, et cetera. But you had never seen what you read in the dirt sheets in many ways transpire well, live on camera. Well, didn't know that was happening. Well, you didn't know that was happening, yeah. no, but you knew that there was some real-life elements yes. to it yes. behind Definitely. it when that's, you were watching. True. I would say that what it did was because of how it reverberated outside of wrestling. To this day, you get a lot of us, you get a lot of people who don't watch wrestling that look at it and go, oh, that stuff, it's scripted, it's fake, right? 
that was not scripted. No, not at all. You know what I mean? Not at all. And it probably and, it, and at the moment at the time it drew the attention of people who didn't watch wrestling or maybe stopped watching wrestling. What, what the fuck is happening yeah. over there? So I think it in many ways helped set the table to the idea that not all this shit that you see is supposed to happen. And I think that led into the attitude era that we know and love, right? I also think that because of that, it, it, to me, it, this is like the, yeah, like I, I, like I said before, it's like the JFK assassination. And I hate to say it in such a blank, you know, terms, but like everybody remembers where they were when they heard about this. Yeah. I just think I specifically remember you coming home at night after hanging out with your friends on that Sunday night. I didn't whatever. even watch it that night either. But you heard about it. I heard about and it. You yeah. opened the door and you woke us up and told us. Yep. Because we had already known at that point that Brett was leaving, and you're like Brett's, you know, Vince McMahon screwed Shawn Michaels, and the, you know, the, the called for the bell when Shawn, Brett was in the sharpshooter. He's, you know, he's gone from the WWF, and I was like, oh, yeah, oh my god, like, so yeah, this to me, the impact this doesn't happen on scripted television. Correct. Your favorite TV show, they don't change the finish of the scene. In the middle of the, ch- as, as they're airing it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, that's, it's, or, so, so you can't, for as, for as cataclysmic as this was, you can't get that anywhere. No, you can't. There's, you can't. That, that, there is nothing on planet earth that offers what that just, what, what just happened there. Correct. You know what I mean? Correct. And that's not why, and, and don't get me wrong, that's not why I love wrestling. Is to me, like I said, I get chills thinking about Montreal because it's just such a tectonic shift in wrestling that lets you know that it's still the Wild West in some respects. It's still wrestling. Yep. You know what I mean? It's still, it's not just entertainment. still got that carny, yes. that, that carny and it, element. And it will never it. go away yeah. completely because they can always go back to it. Yep. You know what I mean? Just like you said, it didn't, those things didn't happen. They, those things happened in the 20s and 30s. And they dusted it off 67 years later because it had to be done. The you impact know? of that moment re- reverberated to the lunch table in high school my freshman year when... I was sitting down with a group of guys and one of them who doesn't watch wrestling had said, I heard that there was a wrestling match last night and Vince McMahon changed the script in the middle of the, the match. And I basically said, yeah, he was out there to, to like the way that he had, the way that he, he had worded it and, and explained it to me. I mean, I knew, but the way that he described it to me when he was asking me about it, he was like, Vince McMahon changed the script in the middle of the show as it was going on. And I and like I confirmed I was like, yeah, he pretty much did. And that to me was when I knew it was like that like I it really hit home like damn, this is huge. This is huge that like like that this took place, you know? And it unfolded all in front of our eyes on pay-per-view to the point where Yes, I asked mom and dad to, to, to get the replay. They said no, which was fine. Um, but I always questioned if they were even going to air the replay because of oh, the, the, yeah. of the, the, the controversy replay, surrounding yeah. it. You know, like I thought like, oh, they'll edit it or oh, they won't even air it. And 
to the best of my recollection, the next night on Raw, they didn't talk a whole lot about it. Mm. And they didn't even advertise. Usually they'll be like, check out the replay tomorrow night on your pay-per-view provider. I don't remember. And I could be wrong because I I have it actually in the queue. I'm looking at the Peacock right there. That's the... That episode of Raw is from the night after in, Mont- in Ottawa. Yeah. And I don't recall them really promoting the hell out of that show from the next night like they used to. Check the replay out tomorrow night. You know? So, but give me your final thoughts. Montreal Survivor Series. Let's put a button on this. Let's put a bow on this. I should say. Button it up, if you will. Uh, not a very good Survivor Series overall. No. It's pretty lame. One match show. Which it probably should have been, anyways. <laughs> yeah. um, just in terms of the, the they should have given us everything else the, for free, yeah. And then we paid for that yeah, match. The gravity yeah. of the situation being what it was, um, it will uh, always be remembered for this one match. Um, like I said, if you talk about, you know, that's how big of an event that the, the screw job was. Was that it'll, it'll, it? To me, it's the biggest moment in the history of wrestling. By far. Um, and that's how this show <laughs> is remembered. Um, yeah. And will be remembered. That's how people will go back and watch this. There will never be, it'll, it, those two things can never be separated Survivor Series 1997 and the Montreal screw job. Um, yeah. But, All right. But, but a, a healthy dose, real, you know, to kind of summarize Survivor Series in general, still a healthy dose of what makes Survivor Series a unique event that I think we both love about it and hope to see more of in the future, for sure. Couldn't have said it better myself. I think, uh, I, I think that uh, there's nothing else that needs to be said. Um, I think it's about that time that we officially put the show down for the three couple. Before we do, um, next couple episodes coming up, we're gonna, I'm, I'm toying with a format that I would like to continue further as we get into 2023. Do a, more of a roulette-style format where um, I let the wheel, the randomizer, choose what we're going to watch um, for the most part, for most of our content. So uh, uh, our next episode, we're going to be doing a, a randomizer, wheel, spin the wheel type of deal of uh, War Games matches as we approach Survivor Series with the War Games matches that are going to be transpiring at Survivor Series Thanksgiving weekend. And then the following week, the week of Thanksgiving, we're going to drop this episode uh, and we're going to do another randomizer wheel spin, if you will, of Survivor Series matches. Um, Some random ones as we celebrate some milestone anniversaries between 87, 92, 97, uh, 2002 and 2007. So uh, the choices for those matches are um, from 87, Hulk Hogan's team versus Andre the Giants team. Uh, Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels from 1992 for the WWF yeah, Championship. A, um, Randy Savage and Mr. Perfect versus Ric Flair and Razor Ramon from Survivor Series 92. The very first Elimination Chamber match from 2002. Um, Shawn Michaels, Randy Orton from 2007. We talked about that earlier. And a dealer's choice uh, option will be on the wheel. So, uh, yeah, uh, just toying around with this concept and uh, thinking that it would kind of add some spontaneity to the podcast, if you will. Uh, from time to time, I will have a set format for a certain certain shows and events and topics that I would like to discuss. But for the most part, what we watch is going to be chosen by the the randomizer, the kicking out of two, spin the wheel, make the deal sort of thing. So 
Um, that's coming up in uh, not next episode, but the following episode. So uh, be on the lookout for that on the Retro Media Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. And now it's officially time to put this show in the sharpshooter. Um, not ring the, three- the bell. Yeah, ring, yeah, the ring the bell. Ring, ring, the, ring the fucking bell, goddammit. And put the show down for the sharpshooter because Vince screwed Brett.